the Calcio Podcast, episode 130. Listeners, ciao. Thanks for tuning in. Listeners, we have a huge episode for you guys lined up. We've got Euro 2020 kicking off in a couple of days' time. I am fired the hell up, and you should be too. And we're going to talk all about it. We're going to talk about Yazzurri. We're going to talk about Roberto Mancini and where we can expect his side to finish. We're going to break down our starting 11. We're going to discuss some late changes that have been made to the side. And we're going to talk a little bit about some recent Serie A news. Maurizio Sarri joining at Lazio. We've got a bunch of different managers who have taken a bunch of different roles in Serie A ahead of the upcoming year. We're going to preview that very briefly. We'll talk about UFOs, about Chris Smalling, about Venezia and their new upcoming kit sponsorship deal with Kappa and how it's the worst thing to happen to humankind. And tons more, but best of all, we've got a bomba interview lined up with none other than the magic man himself, Pauli Malignaggi, two-time boxing world champion at light welterweight and welterweight, Italian-American hero, all-around great guy. We discussed a bunch of different subjects, man, ranging from Arturo Gatti to Conor McGregor to Floyd Mayweather fighting the Paul brothers. We go over some ideas of how Pauli might even get into this whole space of freak show boxing events. You might see him in the corner with Vinny Guaranino very soon. My idea, we'll discuss it and so much more on this episode, people. I am so fired up to be able to share this with you guys. We had a lot of fun shooting the shit, man. We talked a little bit about Italy and about our number nine situation and about the Euro and what we might expect. We discussed a lot of other shit. We talked about fighting. We talked about some crazy stories of his from his time as an amateur. A real treat for you guys. And plus, he talks more than me. First person I've ever met to, in fact. So if you're a little fed up of hearing me talk all the time, this is a nice little intermission for you before the Euro starts. So without further ado, let's kick it off. Let's get into the fucking action, baby. I'm fired up. You should be too. So sit back, relax, and enjoy this 130th episode. Now, without further ado, let's throw it away to Pino. Pino, take it away. Bye. Let's go. Pero, Delle donne non mi fido, il corteggiamento è un rito, troppo spesso si finisce che una donna ti tradisce. E non mi importa se son bionde, non mi importa se son more, a me basta che siano tonde e disposte a far l'amore. Io da bambino veramente fui cacciato dalla scuola perché la professoressa mi faceva molto gola quando facevo il militare. Poi la moglie del tenente mi faceva le moine, io la presi tra la gente, perciò bambina, se sono qui per te stasera è una fortuna. Andiamo! Let's go, folks. All right. Woo. All right. Andiamo, andiamo, andiamo. How are you all doing? Listeners, what is up? What the fuck is up? This is a big episode. This is a very big episode for you guys. I'm not going to lie. This is possibly the biggest episode in the history of this podcast. Welcome, listeners. It's so good to be back in what is a huge week for Italians around the world. We're back, baby. It's been five years since we've had an international tournament, and here the hell we are. Euro 2020 is kicking off imminently. By the time you're listening to this podcast, it'll be probably starting within one or two days. Recording this for you on Wednesday, the 9th of June, and the tournament starts on Friday as we kick off against Turkia. But yeah, fuck, can you guys tell I'm excited? Holy shit, man, I've been waiting for this. I've been, I'm so excited for this fucking tournament, man. Was supposed to be there a year ago, covering it live. And obviously, COVID, I mean, just another, another, uh, another victim of COVID, another little, uh, another little externality of the virus, um, is that unfortunately I was unable to attend. 
And here we are, a year removed now, but I don't even care. I'm just as excited as I would have been a year ago, probably. I just want to, I just wanna, I'm actually probably more excited now because of the the buildup to it, the weight, the, the past year. You know, you ever have that, you ever have that feeling that like something is so far away and you think, fuck, fuck. I got to wait a year. I got to wait four years until whatever, until, uh, whatever the hell whatever the hell it is I don't know I'm going on vacation in six months crap that feels like it's in forever and then it's the day before you're about to leave and you're like oh yeah wow I remember six months ago when I was thinking back to how long ago it felt like this this momentous thing is and, and now it's imminent and you know you just can't contain your excitement that's me right now a year ago when the euro was canceled I was exasperated because you know you, you get worked up right you get really into the idea of it being a tournament year. Yeah, you know, I'm really fired up for the Euro. We didn't make the World Cup. I'm supposed to go to the tournament. Holy crap, let's go. And then whoop, just gets yanked from you right under your feet. The car, the rug got, 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 you know, the rug gets yanked right from underneath you. And it kind of takes some of the momentum away, right? You think, fuck, it's going to be another year. Well, we're here. It's fucking time. Let's go, baby. It's been five years since an international tournament. The last time we started... The last time we played in the last the last time we played a fucking game in an international tournament, excuse me, Stefano Sturado started for us. Thiago Mota was our number ten. He was suspended for that game, and it was a bad thing. It was seen as a bad thing that we lost him for that game. That's how that's how bad our team was four years ago, five years ago now. And then to only go on to not qualify for the World Cup when we had a very young, promising side and fucking nono ventura just refusing to play any of them and leaving lorenzo insigne on the bench for the most important game of the probably previous five years oh god oh man that was bad but uh we're beyond that now man we're beyond that because roberto mancini has really turned this side around and we'll get into that but first off let's let's Get some business out of the way. Listeners, welcome to episode number 130 of the Cultural Podcast. Sam Adamo coming at you. A very excited Sam Adamo for a couple of reasons. Because, of course, the Euro is starting. And the Azzurri are looking good for the first time in a long time. It feels like. And we've got a massive guest on this podcast this week. We've got Paul, the magic man, Malignaggi, former two-time boxing world champion at light welterweight and welterweight. He's a great guy. He's a big fan of Calcio, and he probably talks more than I do. So I actually didn't even get a word in edgewise compared to what I normally would. Uh, I just let him go off. It was a lot of fun. We talked a little bit about uh, life, fighting, obviously a little bit of Calcio. We did talk a little bit about Italy's chances at Euro 2020, but he also told a bunch of crazy stories. We talked a little Conor McGregor. We talked a little about this one time he had a wild amateur fight up in Montreal where this podcast is being recorded. So you won't want to miss that. You'll want to stay tuned for that. But until then, let's uh, let's let's chat a little football here. Let's first off talk about the Euro, man, in a little more depth and what we can expect of this Azzurri side. Roberto Mancini apparently is aiming for the final. He's come out and said as much. So I think as the tournament approaches now, more and more people seem to be privy to the idea that Italy can actually go on and win it. I really do maintain that. Obviously, you know, I'm betting on it. I'm putting them in every bracket I'm doing. Realistically, should we expect it? No, it would be a surprise. But it wouldn't be, I don't know. It's not out of the realm of possibility. I mean, it, technically, any team can win it. 
any team winning it is within the realm of possibility. But, like, Finland winning it is not within the realm of possibility. You know what I mean? You know what I fucking mean? So, I would go on to say that although we are certainly not favored to win, I think we've got a very good outside chance of doing it. And even if we didn't, you should watch because it's a beautiful thing that you get to experience every two years when there's a major tournament that you get to bond with your fellow Italians in your community, wherever you may be, either in Italy or among the diaspora in whatever area you live in around the world, be it Canada, the US, Australia, UK, anywhere in the world, wherever. You know, it's, it's a beautiful thing. The fact we haven't experienced it for five years is insane. It is insane. We're used to it every two. Didn't qualify for the World Cup. Right there and then, the pent-up energy. I mean, we, we should have had crazy. We should have had we should have had ridiculous blue walls for international football a year ago. For it to have gotten deferred again, oh my God. The, 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 I think people will really have a great time this next month. I know COVID isn't over in some parts of the world. I know it's going to be... It's gonna be uh, Definitely a bit of a hindrance to not have the same freedom that you normally would depending on the area you live in. But let's be honest, we, we need this. I think we do need this. And our team looks really good. Let's talk a little bit about the team and news. How about we start up just about last week, about last week, man, when I had Sharma on the podcast. Rahul and I were, were losing our minds because as we were recording live, we thought the squad was being announced, but it was really just like a Che Posta Per Te style, style event in, 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 what is it, Studio 54? Is that what it is? Studio 50, whatever Rai Studio is. The one with all the blue lights and shit where they record all those crazy 90s, 90s reality TV shows or, or talk shows. I don't even know what the hell they are. They, they, they all feel super 90s, like most of Italian TV. But yeah, this event is going on. We think the squad's getting announced. And it only actually wound up getting announced like right after the event, at which point we had just stopped recording the pod and we had to go back and kind of give our take on the squad right as it had been released. But it was pretty it was pretty like surface. We didn't go into a ton of depth because we had already talked about we had already taught I me mean, we had already talked for basically an entire pod. So we didn't really get a chance to go super in depth with uh, every, you know, kind of position by position with, with every single guy that was taken. And I don't think we necessarily have to do that now. We, we already went over the guys who were, who were kind of in the picture last week. But I do want to talk about a couple of notable inclusions now that the dust has settled a little bit. And also last week, I mean, people were losing their minds that what Gianluca Mancini and Matteo Politano and, you know, who I guess Matteo Pessina didn't get in. Matteo Pessina wound up getting into the squad, but people were really upset about it last week before Stefano Sensi went out injured and was the name on the team sheet. Let's put all that let's put all that aside right now. Okay, the side we have is a good fucking side. When you have a really talented national pool of players, you have to cut a leap, guys. It's just how it is. Moise Keane didn't even make this cut. And so I, I don't want to talk about big omissions. We're not really missing anyone crazy through injury, but for maybe Nicolo Zagnolo. And there are no crazy omissions here. This is about as strong a team as we can expect to see. So where are we strong? Where are we weak? Well, in goal, we have Gigio Donnarumma. So right there and then, we're stacked. He's going to be our starter. He's one of the best goalkeepers in the world. No one wants to face him in a penalty shootout. Really long guy. 
So uh, that's that's dead set. Otherwise, central defense is a bit of a weird one because you've got Bonucci and Chiellini who realistically are probably going to start, but you actually have other guys who might be better equipped to start. You just don't expect them to from Friday. Um, I'm looking at Alessandro Bastoni, a guy who I'd probably like to see start ahead of Chiellini. Chiellini's got way more experience, obviously. But, I mean, if you've watched him at Juve this past year, you may have noticed that he's kind of lost a little bit of that edge. So I'm not super confident in that pairing, to be honest, uh, where I, you know, where traditionally we, we, we are usually stacked in central defense, always have been, but even into, even into like the last decade, pretty much, um, you know, we, we, we were always still stacked at the central defensive position. And that was kind of the one stereotype about Italian football that, that remained, I guess, you know, for a while, Andrea Barzali, Leonardo Bonucci, and Giorgio Chiellini were the mainstays in that side. Now, they're still in the side, but they're a little bit older now, and they're not quite the players they were a few years ago. So I'd like to see a guy like Bastoni probably get in. I know a lot of people do. You know, is it because I'm, I'm a youth merchant and I, I love seeing kids in the side? Maybe, maybe it is. You know, he, he, he did make mistakes at times this season in big games. There was a big goal that he gave up to Ronaldo in the Coppa Italia um you know again it was it's one of those plays that just kind of happens but he was at fault for a goal in a very big match against a big opponent like I don't know just at, at a certain point in time you have to make the decision right do you want to roll with the do you want to roll with the young guys and let them kind of make mistakes or roll with the experience I think this is going to be a bit of a hybrid and I think we're kind of gonna I think Mancini rather is going to take it game by game and just see how the team looks but I think Starting on Friday will probably be Chiellini with Leonardo Bonucci. I think your two starting fullbacks will be Emerson Palmieri at left back and Alessandro Florenzi at right back. We've got Di Lorenzo and Spinazzola capable of stepping in. Both not the most flashy. Spinazzola a little more flashy, but both pretty reliable. Probably like 7 out of 10, you know, fullbacks reliable nothing crazy you don't necessarily need a world beater in those positions to excel in a tournament like this but those two guys will probably get the start I would suspect then you've got the midfield which is incredibly stacked I mean it's it's absolutely ridiculous at this point in time you've got Verratti, Jorginho and Barella who are certainly going to start if you asked me a year ago who I thought was the best player in that trident I would have likely said Marco Verratti um, but now I think it's got to be Nicolo Barella. It's got to be. The season he had, the player he's already turning into, it's great to think he'll be around for possibly another decade. And that's kind of a trend here. There are a lot of players that you can probably see being a part of the setup for another couple of tournament cycles. And we may not even have seen the best of this side yet. You know, as as good as we've been the past few years, and despite having won every single game in qualification for this tournament, and despite the fact that we're in the Nations League semifinal in the fall, and the fact that we haven't conceded for like 10 freaking games, I think that's all great, but I think we're nowhere near seeing where this side can go yet. I think in two, three years, we'll really see this side pan out um, when a lot of these guys are going to be in their primes. But Nicolo Barella is one who can boss games already does for Inter and already is for Italy he's very versatile he's more of a box-to-box type guy a lot of energy so I'll look for that kid to start right out of the gate 
Now, of course, there's Marco Verratti's fitness, which we're not sure about. So you could probably expect to see like Manuel Locatelli drop in as a regista. But what's cool about the side is we have a number of different options that play differently in midfield. So you've also got Lorenzo Pellegrini of Roma, Roma's captain, who is a much more attacking-minded player than a guy like Locatelli. You might see him getting in. He's gotten good minutes for Italy before, and he's he's a mainstay in that Roma side for a reason. He's very impressive. He'll also probably be around for another couple of tournament cycles. Then there's Brian Cristante, who is a lot less flashy but is a little more versatile. I don't think we'll be seeing a lot of him uh, at all, to be honest, unless there are some kind of crazy injuries. I think you might see him sub in like as a utility guy to sit on games um, and to play a little bit more conservatively. He does remind me a little bit of Daniele De Rossi in the way he plays. Again, low-hanging fruit because he's a central defensive midfielder who can kind of come back and play in central defense as well. But he's got good he's got good grit to him. So I uh, I like him. A lot of people are, are, were shitting on him getting into the side. I think that's ridiculous. He he's he's he serves a purpose, um, and you need a good kind of cocktail of different options. Then finally, you've got Matteo Pessina. Uh, Stefano Sensi, as I mentioned, was taken last week. And Sharma was freaking out because he's his, his Inter boy. And let's be honest, I mean, Sensi's beautiful to watch on the ball, but the guy's made of glass. The guy's muscles are made of shit. Nick Genaletti, former host of this podcast, tweeted out the other day, there are three certainties in life. Death, taxes, and Stefano Sensi muscular issues. And, uh, man, I, I, I got to say, I was pissed about this one. I was mad that he didn't get into the side because I like what he offers. Um, I liked him in Azzurro, but he barely plays for Inter. So it was, it was a bit of a long shot to even get in. I, you know, I thought... For Mancini to have put him in was not only just obviously a, a good showing of faith in him, but also I think it was a pretty clear indicator that he thought he had a lot to offer within his system. So it's a shame that he's not there, but Matteo Pessina is another guy who I think is quite reliable. Had an excellent season at Atalanta, and a lot of people probably would have had him in the side anyway over Sensi just on, on, on the basis of the fact that he's not as injury-prone, but also he probably had... I mean, he had a more dominant season in a lot of ways. He's another guy who kind of plays a little bit higher up, can kind of drift in. Um, and yeah, man, and he's one of the boys. Of course, uh, once walked into training with that Pornhub bag. So he's uh, he's an absolute fucking G. And I, I actually was surprised to find out on another note that uh, Homeboy might be a little bit of a snob. I don't know. Um, let me cite The Guardian here who claimed he, he goes to the ballet, he goes to the ballet, he speaks Latin, he has a Van Gogh, not an original, uh, on his wall, and uh, he says uh, he loves works of art, and his parents always taught him to appreciate museums, and he looks for beauty in everything, he studies economics, he likes arts, and he likes art and poetry, so uh, fuck me. Uh, the, 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 guy, the, guy's prob- the guy's probably just, the guy's probably a sex freak, eh, though? I mean, you, you, you probably thought when you saw him with that Pornhub bag two years ago when he turned up to training that he was just like a frat boy type, uh, one of the boys. But uh, no, it's, he's not like that at all. He enjoys porn for the art. He enjoys, uh, he enjoys women for being beautiful uh, sexual creatures. He doesn't, he doesn't, <laughs> he doesn't just, he doesn't just, he doesn't just want to find the 19th hole. He actually, he actually wants to like, See the emotion on your face during coitus. 
The guy probably loves inflicting pain on people too, I'll bet. Oh, he, he, guy probably loves fucking up the ass. Let's be honest. If you love art and museums and you go to the opera and the ballet and you have a Van Gogh and shit, you, you definitely, you would definitely just, the first thing, for you, you put it up the ass on the first date, for sure. For sure. His girlfriend's probably a freak. I wonder if he has a girl. I don't know. He, he, he definitely strikes me as one of those type guys. He's super innocent too. Has no skin fade ever. He's super like, he's super relaxed, well-spoken. The guy's probably a fucking freak. You know what? Start him. Start him, baby. Let's go. Start, start him in the opener against Turkey. Start him in the opener against Turkey. They'll find out he likes giving it up the ass and they'll just, they'll, they'll be so mortified by the sheer haram of it. That, oh my God. No. Fuck, should I cut that out? No, I'm going to leave that in. Fuck it. Fuck it. Let's do it. Yeah, let's, let's just try, let's just try to mortify them. This is war, baby. We're going for just mental warfare. We're going to win the mental warfare battle. We're going to start this guy. Nah, okay. Um, I think I think that's enough. That's enough, Sam. That's enough, Sam. Let's uh, move on. I mean, <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. That, that was fucking awful. That was fucking awful. I should not leave that in, but I will. But I will. And you're happy I did because you laughed at that. Be honest. You fucking did. Um, cancel me. Whatever. Uh, Giacomo Raspadori, a uh, big inclusion in this side who uh, Mancini himself came out and said he hopes can emulate Paolo Rossi. Now, I guess you could say that about anyone who's kind of like a uh, wildcard inclusion out of nowhere. You know, we're looking for the next Toto Schilacci or the next Paolo Rossi. Is it going to be 20-year-old uh, Giacomo Raspadori? I don't know. I don't know. The guy made his debut for us the other day against the Czech Republic. And, you know, I, I, I think... What I like about him that I don't like about the other number nines is he moves a little bit better uh, on the ball. He's a smaller guy. He's like 5'8", 5'9", 5'10". So he, he's not someone who's going to be the super imposing number nine that Chiro Immobile is. But he offers something different, which I do like. We have good mobilities on the... We, excuse me. We have good mobility on the wings with Insigne and Chiesa. Even Bernardeschi, he, he, he moves pretty well. Um, but, but I mean, I think... We don't have that going down the middle. It's new. It's different. Um, you know, he had a really strong end of the year, scored big goals in big games against big teams, scoring against Milan. I, I'm happy he's in. I'm really happy he's in. We may not see a lot of him, if we're being honest. You often get a token young guy that's included. I think he probably, you could argue, beat out Moise Kian to the spot. But, uh, yeah, I, he, he'll be interesting to to kind of see how he's deployed. I wonder if maybe if we, you know, if we go on and win the first two games, uh, knock on wood against Turkey and Switzerland, maybe in the Wales game, if we kind of take our foot off the gas a little bit, if we're secured qualification, you might see him have a little bit of a different role kind of experimentally. That'll be very interesting. But um, otherwise, I, I think uh, I think the wings are dead set. You know that Insigne is going to start on the left. You know that Chiesa is going to start on the right, I would argue. Now, there's a case for Domenico Berardi as well. And Federico Bernardeschi has always looked good for the national team, especially in the last two years. He'll definitely have a role to play. I think Berardi will as well, especially given the fact that it's a long tournament. If we want to go on a deep run, everyone in attack is probably going to wind up having a role to play. But, you know, Chiesa can also do a shift on the left-hand side. So I think he's kind of also, like, going to be the one to maybe come in if ever, for whatever reason, Touchwood Insigne can't finish a game. So, I mean, look, I think those two will start, but it's a bit of a crapshoot, especially on the right. I think any of those three can get a start, depending on how you're trying to play and what you're looking for. Immobile is going to start up top for sure. Andrea Belotti could, but probably won't. 
against Turkey. I think that the side that started against uh, the Czech Republic the other day is very likely going to be our starting 11, except for the fact that maybe Berardi is 50-50. It depends on what Mancini is really going to be going for, I believe. Um, I do think we should address the fact that we killed the Czechs for nothing. It was a friendly. They didn't have Suchek starting in midfield, and you might have expected him to. He's probably their best midfielder, but Let's be honest. I mean, they are a side that's going to be in the Euro. They're not a contender, but this isn't some this isn't some some Mickey Mouse team that we rolled over. We beat them four 0 You know, Nicolo Barella's goal was listen. There were a couple of goals off deflections. Immobile scored off a deflection early. Barella scored in the first half off a deflection as well. I mean, the guy the guy slipped shooting and he was going to totally miss the net, but it took an unlucky deflection or a lucky deflection went in. I get that, but. We had really good presence in the final third. I think, you know, it's indicative of the side that we are right now. We're very confident. And I think you're going to see that from the get-go. So, um, all right, well, why don't we move on to a little bit of Serie A news before we cut away to Pauly. Um, we'll be doing episodes every single uh, match day or after every single match day, either the evening of or the day after, and they'll be out as soon as possible. Going to look to try to get some guests on. It'll be a lot of fun. Definitely hope you keep tuning in throughout the Euro. Obviously, we know that you're going to be starved for content about this sort of thing. So, uh, yeah, please do tune in. Please do tune in. If uh, I don't have a fatwa out hanging over my head after that uh, that last little segment. Um, but, yeah, l- let's talk a little City on News real quick before we cut away to Pauly, the Magic Man Malignaggi. W- what a name, by the way. What a middle name. or What a, what a nickname, the Magic Man. I think we have to do a five-a-side of nicknames in Calcio. Or like, what nicknames would be. So, not actual nicknames because it's not really a thing that you have. But, I, I don't know. Like, like Lorenzo il Magnifico Insigne is a good one. Lorenzo the Magnificent. Like the Renaissance guy. Read a book, motherfucker. That, 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 like, the, like the Renaissance man dem. Or ask Matteo Pessina about it. He probably knows. He probably knows more about it than me. But, uh, yeah. Like, 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 that's a nickname. But, otherwise, you don't get a lot of that. I mean... You, this is Giorgio King Kong Chiellini. That's a really good one, too. Fuck, I'm going to take all the good ones. I'm going to take all the good ones. Maybe Gijo Superman Donnarumma. Uh, maybe, maybe, maybe we can come up with... Maybe we, should, maybe we can kind of come up with some as well. Like... Nicolò... Uh, Nicolò <laughs> Pasta Barella. Like Pasta Barilla. Maybe, maybe some punny ones. I don't know. Something to work with. We'll, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll have to note that down. I'm making a note right there. See? Pen click. Idea being written down. Uh, okay. So, some uh, some Serie news before we kind of get into it. Next year is going to be really interesting. And, th- by the way, this will probably be like the last bit of Serie news that we cover for the next month. I can imagine unless something absolutely crazy happens. But usually, like, club football kind of goes totally on pause when international football happens. And uh, yeah, man, people are too people are too tied up in their tribalism to care uh, to care about their clubs, uh, and usually club business doesn't happen. So, so you know, I'm not saying we won't discuss it at all, but we probably very likely won't uh, a ton. So let's just kind of point out the fact right now, while the news is fresh, that next season is going to be, and we'll preview it later in the summer. But next season is going to be a great city off season. The the number of managers that we have lined up now are a one. We did lose Antonio Conte. I would argue that Carlo Ancelotti, who hasn't managed in Serie A for over a decade, but I would argue that maybe Carlo Ancelotti is like the other kind of big Italian name that isn't in the league right now, although he does have a big job lined up at Real Madrid that he just took. But uh, a few days ago, actually. 
So uh, kudos, kudos to uh, Carletto. Hope, uh, hope that works out um, for him and the eyebrow, the raised eyebrow. And that weird stuff he's always drinking on the bench. What are those pills or I don't know what. Like every time Real Madrid would score a big goal a few years ago, he would just kind of calmly turn on the bench like a sociopath, like a, like a complete psycho, and just pop open, <laughs> pop open capsules of this this little plastic container of medicine. I don't know what what it was if it was for asthma. But anyway, would like to see that back in Serie A someday. But I digress. He and Antonio Conte, in any event, are the only two real serious A-lister Italian managers that aren't managing a club in Serie A right now, but there's a bunch of other really interesting names that have returned to the league. Luciano Spalletti is going to be back managing Napoli. Limone Inzaghi, not Simone, Limone Inzaghi has gone to Inter after Antonio Conte left, which will be interesting. It'll be really fascinating to see how he picks up the pieces there after they have to sell a couple of key pieces. It looks like Ashraf Hakimi is all but gone, so... That'll be, a, that'll be a tough one because he provided a ton of options for them down the right flank. Uh, so I look forward to seeing how he copes. He's been replaced now officially by Maurizio Sarri um, at Lazio. Shout out to Lazio's uh, PR and marketing team, by the way, for that amazing tweet this morning. They just tweeted out the cigarette emoji, uh, which of course, <laughs> so, so right, right away everyone knew that the news was official. That was, that was a, one of the more creative ways I've ever, I've ever seen a, a manager uh, a manager announced. We got some really good ones in the past week, actually. We got we got Juve posting a picture of Minnesota on the map for Allegri's horse. Uh, Allegri, another guy who's back in Italy, by the way, at uh, Juve, which we discussed in, in recent weeks. Then you had Real Madrid posting the picture of a raised eyebrow before announcing Car- uh, Carletto Ancelotti coming back at Real Madrid. And, uh, and then you got Lazio just posting the, the cigarette emoji. I got to say, Lazio is a great level for Maurizio Sarri. It is a great level for Maurizio Sarri. And um, I'll tell you why. Because he didn't fit the corporate structure of Juve or Chelsea. He's not polished enough to go before the media and kind of perform his perform his ambassadorial duties as you might expect or hope for a gaffer of, of a huge club like that. Lazio's perfect. He's a little bit unpolished. They're a little bit unpolished. It works. They're going to give him a little bit of patience. I actually would really like to see how some players do with him. Like Milinkovic-Savic is an obvious one. Uh, Luis Alberto and Correa, though, in particular, are really good creative players on the ball. So I want to see if he can actually get this Sarri ball to, to, to work. Because I mean, we, we always hear about Sarri ball and how it's beautiful. And Listen, Lazio today are really pumping this idea that he's going he's gonna to bring football that's beautiful on the eye to the capital. I mean... Listen, if he's going to be the antithesis to Mourinho at, at Roma, who's another huge name back in Serie A, um, by the way, and which we've also discussed a lot in, in recent weeks, but if Sarri's going to be the antithesis to Mourinho, then you need to see a big change in culture, like footballing culture, because Lazio have not been good to watch for a little while now. I don't know how, I, I, I don't know how it's going to pan out, but I'm really interested to see him back in Serie A for. I mean, a couple of reasons, most, but mostly, mostly content, mostly content above all else. And the fact that, you know, if they keep playing like shit, we're going to get to make fun of the fact that today on June 9th, 2021, they posted this really, this really hype video talking about how beautiful football is coming back to Rome now. And listen, A1 marketing, I encourage you to go check out Lazio's Twitter today because they were on fire. But I mean, listen, I, I don't know if 
he's really going to be able to 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 implement a a really meaningful change there. But I'm all for waiting to see how it pans out. I'm all for waiting to see what happens for sure. Gennaro Gattuso switching from Napoli to Fiorentina is an interesting one as well. He'll have a little bit more time there, I think, than he would have at Napoli. There'll be a little less pressure. Hopefully, he can kind of come into his own. Obviously, Allegri back at, at Juve is going to be a big challenge for him to undertake, but probably one that he'll take on licking his lips now as Inter are struggling. But then you've got Milan and you know Pioli and Atalanta with Gasperini who are coming back after a relatively successful season in both cases. And a little bit of stability now, maybe, hopefully. Milan are looking to secure Brahim Diaz. It looks like they're going to be getting Tomori back on loan. They even renegotiated the deal for Sandro Tonali and I think are paying $10 million less for him than they had otherwise, than they had, than they had agreed, um, than, they had other, than they had otherwise agreed with, with Brescia because they're still in Serie B and they're a little bit cash-strapped at the moment. So Paolo Maldini's taking advantage of that. So brilliant, brilliant move. For them, I, I see both sides looking pretty strong going into next year. I think Atalanta might have a lot of hype around them as well, given the fact that they'll be back in the Champions League, of course, but I think a couple of their players could have really good Euros. In, in particular, um, well, I, I think Gosens, Hatabor, and Malinovsky will look like will look like gods, I think, in a few weeks' time. I think... The general football fan, like who doesn't necessarily follow Serie A in depth, might take notice of these players, and I think will uh, take notice of them next year when they see them playing for Atalanta in Serie A, but also in the Champions League, right? So I think I think there's going to be a little bit more hype around Atalanta next year, and I'm I'm all for it. So that's uh, that's really interesting shit, man. I'm I'm really fascinated to see how this all pans out, and uh, and yeah, man. Before we get into a couple of segments, though. Uh, before we get into Heroes Tronzo and a quick only in Italy moment, uh, followed by the interview with Pauli, I think we need to just address what's been going on with Antonio Conte very quickly at Spurs. So before Carlo Ancelotti was announced as the manager of Real Madrid, there were rumors that Antonio Conte was maybe going to take over. And apparently, unsurprisingly, and I said this, I said the players at Real Madrid wouldn't stand for his terrible, cynical football. Apparently, there was like a revolt and 10 players at Madrid said, no fucking way, we don't want that guy. Well, enter Tottenham. It looked like he might be going to Spurs. Fabio Paratici is all but confirmed to be joining them. So he'll be a sporting director now after having left Juve. An interesting move. I'm really looking forward to seeing how he can transpose his success into English football because he's been a key figure at Juve. Over the last decade, but I think he did struggle a little bit as a number one. He was much better suited as a number two. But it looked like Antonio Conte might be the guy to be brought in with him. And the idea, I suppose, would have been to, you know, for for Conte and Paratici, build a winning side right away. They both like spending money. They both like spending money. Well, Daniel Levy, the president of uh, Tottenham, doesn't like spending money. And it should come as no surprise that they told Antonio Conde to take a hike because he was asking to bring like a bunch of his staff and he was asking for way more money than they were willing to pay. But also, I think he was saying, I want to win right now. You gotta, I got to say, it's a really tough look on Tottenham, man, to say, we're not going to take you because we don't believe in your philosophy of winning now. We don't want to give you what you want to win. 
And this is a guy, bear in mind, I know every manager says they want to win and they're going to win and they're going to, you know, they're going to be able to win if you give them what they what they want when they get to a new club. I know every manager says that, but Antonio Conte is a guy who's done it multiple times over and consistently. He's never not won a title at any of his club jobs. He's never not won a title at any of his top side, uh, his top flight club jobs. Never. So, you know, this would have been a big step for Spurs. He's won the Premier League before, for Christ's sake. But uh, no, they, they they wouldn't do it. I mean, there's not much else to it other than that. But yeah, like, I, I don't know. I really do wonder where Antonio Conte is going to wind up going now. Like, I don't see him coming back to Italy because no side will give him what he wants. I think he'll probably wind up pulling a bit of a Max Allegri and just waiting on the sidelines for a while and waiting until an interesting offer comes his way. He's not going to be someone to jump at anything. He's not desperate. So that, that's going to be something to kind of keep an eye on, I suppose, in the coming months into next season. But I mean, fuck, he doesn't care. He doesn't give a he doesn't give a, a hoot. He's still getting paid ridiculous money by Inter. So um, listen, let's get to let's get to a couple of segments here before we cut away to Paulie, the Magic Man, Malignaggi. I've got a story from Jamaica. I've got a story from Jamaica for you people. Hero of the week goes to Chris Smalling, Roma defender, once a mainstay in the England side, but when he left Man United for Italy. He lost all good faith that he had in that country because they only value their own uh, their own domestic league. Which, by the by the way, England are going to have a terrible tournament. England are going to have an awful Euro. I know everyone thinks everyone in England seems to think it's coming home, and every every tournament they make the same mistake um, of overestimating their team because they recognize the names. They pull a Sam in 2017 when he bet the house on the Italy U21 side winning the Euro. Because he recognized every one of the players and thought that Andrea Petania was a fucking god because he just recognized him and because he played for Atalanta and scored a few goals that one year. Like, this is that. They suffer from the same disease that I did that that fateful summer four years ago. I learned my mistake. They didn't. Uh, they're still hyping up their side to the moon. And their own fans can't stand half the players. I mean, their, their, their media and their fans, the English people, can't unanimously back their team. They just can't. They can't do it. I don't know what it is. They always have to go after their players. The media goes after them to sell papers. And then the fans just victimize the players or vilify the players, I should say. Excuse me. They, they make of them victims by vilifying them. They, they, they are the victims of their fans' wrath. And it, it's something different every tournament. I mean, sometimes sometimes you have... I don't know, I don't know what it is, man. It's, it's often, it, it's just a disconnect between the common English man and the players. So a few years ago, it was that like the papers were kind of going after Raheem Sterling and the idea was that they were not being fair to black players. They weren't giving black and white players the same treatment. They were kind of using inflammatory language that might you know strike some racist undertones that people in England would would cling to certain people that would read certain newspapers, whatever. So that's what it was a few years ago. Now this year, I mean, the, the, the team is kneeling for the national anthem, which, listen, they could do what they want. I think it's a stupid move on a num- for, for one key reason. I mean, if, you, if you think it's a political statement, go for it. But I think it's a stupid move because it's, it's an unnecessarily polarizing move. And listen, if, if you think that it's the right stance to take, it's the right move, then very bold of you, very brave, you know, history rewards the bold and the brave, right? History looks favorably on those who, who, who took risks and, and who were principled. So if you think that that's the hill you want to die on, England players, you want to die on this, 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 the, the BLM 
the BLM uh, agenda. That, that's fine. That's fine. But the fact is, people in England, most people don't like to see, patriotic people don't like to see their country disrespected or defaced. However they perceive that disrespect to be. It's clear that some people, I'm not saying, just some people perceive kneeling for the national anthem as disrespectful. Some people in England. They are booing the team as a result, and apparently they're not backing down. Apparently the team isn't backing down. Gareth Southgate came out, their manager, and said that if you boo the kneeling of the anthem, it's a racist act. So that is only more infuriating, I would assume, to people who are of the persuasion that kneeling is a big lack of respect. So there, there's just a crazy polarized culture there right now. They're going to crash and burn as they always do. They're going to crash and burn as they always do. We don't have to get into why why they're kneeling, why they're booing, who's doing what. It doesn't fucking matter. It doesn't matter where what your opinion is. The fact is, you have to look at it objectively and say, it's a terrible situation, super polarized, they will implode. They always do. How do I get onto that? I just I just feel so I feel so fucking strongly about this shit. Because England are like one of the favorites, the bookies' favorites to win the tournament. That's ridiculous. That is crazy. That is the stupidest value for your money that you anyway. Ben White, Ben White, a guy who plays for Brighton Hove Albion, got added to the side after Trent Alexander Arnold got injured. He was so Ben White was added as a as a last ditch center back option over the likes of Tomori and Chris Smalling, both of whom play in Italy, both of whom are far better footballers than Ben White, especially the case of Tomori, especially in the case of Tomori. You could argue that Tomori has way more upside than both of them. But, and listen, I'm not, I'm not saying it's a capital crime that Chris Smalling wasn't included in that side. I don't, I don't give a shit. I don't give a shit. But there's obviously, anyway, there's always a, there's often a domestic bias in, in certain, in the cases of certain countries. That's certainly the case in England. You could argue that it's probably even the case in Italy to a certain extent. But uh, anyway, that whole tangent aside, let's talk about Chris Smalling for a sec. Uh, he was on vacation in Jamaica. He, he's hero of the week, by the way. I know I know, we kind of got a little off track there, but he, he's fucking hero of the week. Because he apparently... <laughs> I got to compose myself for this. Okay, his wife, San. I'm just going to read you this quote. Roma defender Chris Smalling and his wife, San, great name, claimed that they saw a UFO last night. Quote, Chris could see it rotating with lights and flashing all around. <laughs> Sport media set went on to report On vacation in Jamaica Chris Smalling's wife wrote on social media We saw a UFO We were not under the effect of mushrooms <laughs> It's amazing It's fucking amazing I saw someone Forget who Someone on Twitter said This is unreal Chris Smalling doesn't want to play for Jose Mourinho He's pleading insanity Dude I, when, I, when I saw this I was I was I was I was screaming. I was I was actually like I was like oh my god. I was wailing, laughing by myself, and that barely ever happens. I couldn't believe. It. So the quote, this is the quotes are absolutely unreal. And, and we 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 got we got to open this up real quick. We got to pull up the article here. So his wife went on to claim that they were too gobsmacked to get their cameras out. <laughs> How unreal would it be? Because you know everyone has a phone. Everyone has a camera now. So the idea is that you know. It, it, the fir the first person to get real serious UFO footage will be just Joe Blow in Idaho. That that I didn't even intend that to rhyme, but yeah, J Joe Blow in Idaho, like just some random bloke 
is probably the odds would dictate is the most likely person to get the best ever footage of a UFO, right? You would think it'd be just some random schmo. Imagine if it were Chris Smalling. Imagine if he were the guy to break this shit. He would be more famous for that than for being a footballer. No one would take him seriously ever again. Anyway, I don't know if you believe in UFOs or not. I think there's very clearly some wild shit going on out there. We don't have to get into that. We've actually gotten into this on the podcast before, but we'll, we'll, we'll save that for another day maybe. But I do I do want to kind of go a little bit further into this story because the claims are pretty are pretty vivid. They're pretty descriptive. They're pretty colorful. They claim that this this object flew down past us, then turned and shot back high up in the sky where it stayed for an hour, maybe longer, but we had to leave. So they were there for an hour. They were there for an hour, but they didn't think to take their phones out. At, at, Jesus Christ. It was too small to get on film when it stayed stationed in the sky. Oh, okay, that's what it was. Although Chris could see it rotating with lights flashing all around it. I could only see the outer lights at this point as my eyes aren't as good. Um, Hero of the Week, Chris Smalling. Just for giving us that incredible story and for, for, for living his best life and for, for not being afraid to... For not being afraid to... To... To, 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 to sound crazy, man. You know what? If, if, if he really did see that, the people need to know about it. I'm happy he's sharing it. Um, I do want to give a quick Strons of the Week to Venezia Calcio. How could I be doing this a week after they got promoted? Sam, what the fuck are you doing? You, you gave them Hero of the Week last week. You gave them Hero of the Week. You gave them Honorable Mention last week. You were talking about how unreal it looked. Their celebrations down the canal and how it was a beautiful... A beautiful sight and how the way they won was so great. A late injury time goal. Um, why the 180, Sam? Well, it dawned on me. It fucking dawned on me. On Twitter earlier today, they tweeted out a picture of the Kappa logo. The two guys sitting back to back saying something to the effect of, you know, you guys ain't ready. Next season's going to be next season's gonna be hot. Implying that they're going to be changing their kit outfitter from Nike to Kappa. Now, why does this matter? I'll tell you why it fucking matters. It matters because now every single unbearable football culture hipster out there is going to be jumping on this bandwagon, man. You could take this to the bank. Venezia next year, book it, are going to be the team of choice for the annoying football hipster who wears like a rolled up beanie all year round, not just in the winter, just, just, just a rolled up beanie above their head. With like, I don't know, a fucking Venezia jersey. I, I'm so not down with this shit anymore. I'm so I'm so fed up of fucking football hipsterism and 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 just and just, just football football hippies holding marketing positions at clubs and and just and just just fishing for urban chic vibes wherever they can. You're gonna be you're gonna see a you're gonna see a Copa Nani documentary on it for sure. And I'll bet you their marketing guy is gonna be interviewed. I, I, I guarantee. I guarantee you. <laughs> it just got, I don't know. Just these fucking football hipsters are so douchey, and they're gonna. Yeah, I don't know. They're they're gonna capitalize on this. Hey, listen, they're allowed to try to make money. They're doing a good job. At they're gonna be doing a good job. I think at at, at branding and about selling the club to the world. I think they're gonna be doing good work. They already are doing good work, but. I'm just so over everyone rocking Kappa shit now and think and by the way, I love Kappa. I like and here I like streetwear. I like urban chic shit. 
I like building football into it sometimes, but I'm just so fed up with the fact that everyone's hot on Kappa now, and uh, it's gonna be so annoying. It's gonna be so fucking annoying, because you know, you know what? Because now, now I'm an asshole. I'm a douchebag. Because you know what? I, I used to be, I used to be the avant-garde guy. I used to be the pretentious motherfucker who was wearing stuff that no one else was. And you know, and I know there's a few of you out there that are like that too. Well, and now, you, <laughs> now you're you're. You're, you're, you're bitter, you're annoyed like I am, that everyone's wearing kappa thinking they're cool. And uh, yeah, unfortunately, unfortunately, unfortunately uh, I'm probably going to wind up, I'm probably going to wind up buying something of theirs. And I don't even, I support another club in the same league. I'm going to be tempted as fuck. And, and I hate that I will be. I hate that I will be. Uh, okay. Quick, uh, quick only in Italy moment before we get away to Pauly. I don't know if you guys saw this. There's an Italian artist who auctioned off a sculpture for $18,000. Now, why is this a big deal? Well, because the sculpture is invisible. It's an invisible sculpture. It's literally made of nothing. And the idea is that it uh, it's a play on the absurdity of uh, art and capitalism and urban culture, whatever the fuck it is. Dude, This I don't care what this guy says. This guy, this guy is the biggest, most Italian fleecer I've ever ever heard of this is this is unprecedented this is unprecedented you hear about this a lot in like naples you know that everyone is a little bit slick and they're all they're all trying they're all trying to they're all trying to weasel weasel something out of you and it's kind of like the it's kind of the stereotype of the south this guy's from sardinia so kind of qualifies fits the stereotype but i mean this guy's the absolute king of this shit this this, this guy he, he he sold an immaterial sculpture with his words, with his with ideas. Here's the thing. So there's nothing there. There's nothing. There's nothing physically present in the room, at the exhibit. The only thing there are the ideas that he implants in your mind about the sculpture. So he is so good with words. He is such a good slimy salesman. Coupled with the fact that he's a really, he probably, here's the thing, he could actually be the most pretentious artist ever that he actually believes this shit. Either way, it's incredible. And it's it's an only in Italy moment if I've ever heard one or heard of one. I'm going to give you a quote here. He said, when I decide to exhibit an immaterial sculpture in a given space, that space will concentrate a certain quantity and density of thoughts at a precise point, creating a sculpture that from my title alone will take the most varied forms. Uh, shut up, bro. My God. This guy's incredible. You know what? I, I Again, round of applause, though. Round of applause. Round of fucking applause. I respect the hell out of this guy for doing this. Let's be honest. The person who bought this has fuck you money. The person who bought this has fuck you money and wanted to say, I, I, bur I burnt 15,000 euro on a sculpture that doesn't exist. That's what this is. The guy's a genius. The guy's a genius. He knew that there are people out there who are looking for the biggest way to say, fuck you, look how rich I am. And that's it. All for coming up with an idea. He made 15 grand or $18,000. 18 grand, 15,000 euro, whatever. It's an obscene amount of money for nothing. For nothing. You know? It's unreal. I respect the hell out of this guy. Anyway, before we get any more off the rails, let's uh, throw it away to Pauly. The magic man, Malignaggi. I had a great time interviewing this man. He's an Italian-American hero. He's a great dude. And we got on to a bunch of different really fun subjects. We didn't only discuss Italian football. In fact, we discussed a lot of other shit. And I think you guys will really enjoy it. So without further ado, let's throw it over to Pauli, the magic man, Malignaggi. Let's go.
So uh, yeah, Champ, thanks for thanks for joining us, man. This is a this is a real honor. I I grew up watching you and Arturo Gatti fight, um, mm. who I view as two of the last great Italian fighters, probably the yeah, last they- of the last of a bygone era in a lot of ways. I uh, Arturo was uh, my favorite fighter, so I kind yeah. of tried to uh, emulate his footsteps. I didn't fight like him, uh, but you know, I stylistically, but I did. Uh, I did uh, look up to him and, uh, you know, he was kind of the generation before me. So I really, uh, I really looked up at him a lot. Would you have liked to have had a chance to fight him at any point in time? If so, how do you think that might've gone? Cause you are different uh, stylistically, as you was, said. There were some rumors it was being discussed later in his career. Looking back uh, at the time, it probably would have paid very well, but looking back, I'm glad I didn't have to fight him. You know, um, you know, I don't know how it would have went, but I, I, I would not have wanted to fight an older, you know, uh, past his prime Arturo Gatti. Um, I just, you know, not after looking up to him, you know, uh, haven't looked up to him on my, uh, on my uh, boxing life and even before I started boxing. So, so I'm glad, uh, that I never, uh, never fought him. You know, I want, I want to remember Arturo Gatti the way I remember him. I don't want to remember him, uh, for having, having ended up in fighting him later in his career, you know? That's, that's a weird thing that you probably don't get a chance to experience in boxing like you do in a lot of other sports. Like like Buffon recently played with Federico Chiesa, whose father mm-hmm. he played with at Parma. And he was yeah. saying how weird it was that, that he got to mm-hmm. play with two generations of, of Chiesa. And you, you tend to get that a lot. You get these young guys that will come up and play with their father or play with someone who they idolize. It doesn't happen often, but it, it can happen in boxing. Yeah. You just, I don't know. You don't get that in individual sports. Yeah, yeah, you don't. Uh, that, that's a funny one too. Yeah, I remember Enrico Chiesa, and now his son's uh, obviously you know having a stellar career himself. Um, yeah, it's some of the little tidbits that ends up happening in boxing, you know, uh, that kind of it would have been the same if I had to fight Arturo, you know. Um, you know, you get these guys that uh, you kind of grew up watching. Uh, and then you start getting to a point where, you know, you're starting to be mentioned uh, to be fighting them, you know. Uh, I remember I started fighting guys that were, I was watching on TV and now I'm thinking, wow, now I'm, I'm fighting them on TV, you know. So it was, uh, it, it's a surreal thing, but it's part of your uh, your growth, you know, when you're, when you're in these kind of businesses and these kind of, and you set these kind of goals. That's a, that's a weird thing in pro sports too, is just a lot of people kind of put you on a pedestal because they're watching you. So a lot of people probably don't even realize that you're even a regular person, which in, in some respects, you're not, you, 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 you operate in a more, you operate in the public sphere, you operate in an oftentimes more lucrative sphere, but, but um, I don't know, like, like I, 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 I would assume that nothing else changes other than the fact that you just have more people who have eyeballs on you and, more people yeah. are trying to get something out of you, maybe squeeze money yeah, out of yeah. you, but that's something that you get in uh, that you get across athletes. And uh, I don't know, that's, 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 yeah, that's, that's a yeah, weird one. I think it's uh, just perception really, you know, I mean, don't get me wrong. A lot of professional athletes and uh, professional people in general, uh, celebrities, they perceive themselves as something different. So it ends up creating, you know, this, uh, this divide, you know, I, I've always kind of, you know, I've had a, a TV persona, so to speak, especially as a fighter. But I mean, I've always I've, I've never shied away about, you know, trying to stay as, re- as regular as I could. You know, I would hang out in the cafes in my Italian neighborhoods. And, uh, you know, to this day, I'll still go to the cafe, have some espresso and watch, uh, you know, soccer or, uh, or hockey or whatnot. You know, it's uh, it's funny. I just came from the cafe before I passed by. I'm, I had to run some errands. I passed by for a coffee. You know, a lot of guys from Montreal at, a, at a, an Italian cafe down here by me. You know, 
My Miami so, is Miami is flooded with wops from my area, man. It's absolutely it's absolutely nuts. If you go down to certain restaurants in Miami and speak Italian to them, as I did two years ago with my girlfriend before, before traveling became next to impossible for Canadians. I, I I couldn't I couldn't believe that I would open my mouth and speak to Italians in an Italian restaurant, and they would say, "Tu sei italiano di Montreal." They would know right away. We're everywhere down there, man. It's nuts. It's, yeah. Yeah. yeah, I think the Canadians just want to get away from the cold. You know, there's, there's this cafe I go to in Pompano, and they're all like, mo- almost, I'd say 90% of the cafe is from Montreal. You know? Pompano is crawling. There, you know, it's, uh, so it's funny, you know, and you got, it has an old school feel, you know, drinking the espresso and uh, watching the games, uh, you know, card games and stuff. You know, it's, uh, it's funny. Where are you planning on watching the Euro? Because that's, that's one thing, man. Going to cafe is, it's a stressful thing for me, man. I'm not going to lie to you. I, I'm really, I'm dreading the idea of going to a cafe with the Legion of the Unemployed, all the Sal's and Tony's of the world and, and, and guys who are seasonal fans who come around every four years. Nothing wrong with it. I love like, I love the comunità, but I, yeah. I, I just, I'm, I'm oh, dreading it. I'm dreading it. You're going to catch that because some people just show up for the party, you know, some people just show up for the, the comunità, like you said. Um, so you're going to get that, but I always, I always, um, maybe not so much watching the games. It's funny because I have this custom during like world cups and then, and major uh, footballing tournaments that I'll try to go watch the games at a place that has the, the, the culture of one of the players. I'll, I'll try to go to a French restaurant to watch the French game. Or I'll try to go to, you know, if it's the world in the world cup, a Mexican place to go to watch the Mexico game. And, it's funny because with Italian games, Italian games, I, I tend not to go to the cafe. I'll, I'll go afterwards. I'll go after they win, and I'll, and I'll go. I would go to the Avenue, which is in my neighborhood, was 18th Avenue in Bensonhurst, and then go party and jump around and stuff. But I, I, t- I tended not to watch the Italy games in the cafes, you know. Uh, but but now you know it's whatever, you know, uh, because though you know what it is, I end up missing uh, how it used to be, you know. Like my, for example, my neighborhood in Brooklyn is almost. The Italians are almost completely gone, but there's, you know, there's one cafe and when I head back up to no, up to the Northeast, I'll probably end up watching the later part of the year over there, you know? Uh, but, uh, you know, down here, I don't know. I'll probably just watch at the cafe over here, you know, but it's not as big of a community, you know, uh, you just have like that little cafe. Uh, either way, you know, I do miss the old days, whether it was, you know, the, 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 the seasonal fans and whatnot. I remember Italy winning the world cup and 18th Avenue and Ben Center is just being jammed and mobbed when probably, most of the people there couldn't tell you two guys on the team, you know, but, but it was, it was just a funny, it was just a fun, uh, a, a fun experience. What kills me is you got the guys though, that, that, that watch a little bit of city. And they, they love to flex their knowledge on other people. Like, yeah. but, 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 but they, but they really don't understand a lot of the nuance of the game. And I know I sound like a fucking snob talking about this shit now, but, <laughs> but, but, no, but I, you know, I, I watch it. Yeah. You got you guys that have never played the game at any level, which is totally fine. Totally fine. But then they'll tell, you know, you have a girl who will mispronounce someone's name and someone will, someone will act incredulous and say, hey, it's, it's Federico Chiesa. It's Chiesa. Yeah. He plays for yeah. Juve. You know what I mean? They'll, 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 they'll you know, just to, to, to have yeah. her home. But they, Chiesa, who's but they, can't, but they can't tell you anything else about him. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. I don't know, man. I'm, I'm stressed the fuck out. I, I got this podcast too now. So I have like people who have this expectation that I'm going to tweet out shit during games. I, I'm, I'm vowing not to. I'm, of course, I'm probably going to wind up just 
because I'm addicted to my phone like everyone else. I'm just going to wind up picking it up and tweeting out shit during games. I'm going to have stoop. I'm going to be fishing for laughs yeah, all the time on Twitter. But I, I'm vowing not to. I want to wait until after the game. I don't want to touch it. I want to watch a loner with my grandfather, and that's it. That's, my girlfriend wants to watch him. I'll watch the, with her, but like, the, I'm afraid. Well, that's, a, that's the thing with the social media. You know, I love watching the games with my grandfather. He's actually still up in Brooklyn. You know, uh, if, I, if I get back uh, in time, uh, for the late part of the tournament, I'll probably watch some games with him as well. Um, but that's the thing in the social media era, you know, everybody can tweet something or leave a comment. It's funny. I was talking to one of my friends in Italy and, you know, he's like my age, you know, so we didn't grow up in the social media era. It's kind of newer to us. We came to it as adults, you know, and uh, he's watching one of these games. Right? He, uh, he's watching one of the games with the, with his nephew. I don't remember now which player messed up, you know, uh, but he's like, He's like, I can't believe that. He goes, I'm gonna go on his Instagram and write and leave a comment right now. What a what a what a piece of what a piece of garbage he is. And 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 he and my my boy was like, this is what they do. It's like, it's like they just watch these games and then when they wait to get pissed off and then they'll leave a comment on they'll go to the guy's social media page and tell him tell him how what a low life he is. You know what I love doing? You know what I love doing? When somebody fucks up or has a terrible game or somebody gets canceled or something, I love going to their Instagram and checking their latest post just to see. I don't partake, but I'm, it's kind of like rubbernecking on the highway. I'll, I'll just check and see. Just I'll gauge the temperature. I'll gauge the temperature, bro. And I love seeing, I love seeing like 200 comments. I'm like, oh, it doesn't feel like a lot. But then I'll go to like every other previous post and he has like three, the person has three comments on their post. I love to gauge yeah. the, the ratio of, of, of comments yeah. on the most recent right. two posts. Yeah. To the ones the, from a year ago. After something, after something controversial, yeah. Exactly. yeah it's always yeah. funny. It happened to me too. I can tell you, it happened to me too. So <laughs> the comments change and they're, uh, they, they, they reach a different level. Yeah, every time Conor McGregor fights now, you probably get people that'll that, that'll still harp oh, on the fact that you had a run I get, I get people. I get people that uh, that still comment on it just randomly. You know, I don't know. It's, still, it's all over the place. I can't even keep up with it, you know? Yeah. Uh, it's... Uh, it's uh, you can tweet about or you can uh, leave a post about what a sunny day it is, and you'll get you'll still get those people. You know, <laughs> those people that's, just, that's incredible. Those people, and, those people just live and die for your comment, so they can leave their comment. You know. Yeah. Listen, I mean, you you got a substantially larger following on social media on all platforms. As much as we're shitting on social media, I mean, it still it still serves its purpose. In your case, it serves to. It serves to, to 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 pump AMC to the moon. We could talk about that in a little bit, but yeah. but but <laughs> it, it must be it must be so tough because I can't even keep up with shit I get on on Twitter and Instagram. I'm like fucking shut up, my god, my notifications. In your case, you probably have people that tag you and stuff from like oh yeah, like, I don't, seven uh, years I don't, ago. How do you keep up with that shit? Do you or you just just give up? I don't. I don't block anybody just so I can see. You know, I, I love to kind of just let them go and let them be. Like I've got. Like there's a guy on Instagram, I think he's actually Canadian. I'm not sure, but he's he he's commented on every post I've posted for the last probably three years. You know, like trolling every single post. He's a he's he's got a comment on there. You know, like that's diligence. You know what I'm saying? I I, I can't block you because I'm gonna take away a piece of your life by blocking you. You know that that is a a key part of your life for you to wait for my post because he's on there right away as soon as I post. So. He's so like they, I, I never block and, and and there's always trolls that come in and out, obviously. And then, you know, but I, I won't block it because there's an entertainment value to that. You know, like I, I, I try to see the psychology of where they're going and how, and how, how diligent they are. But this one guy, I mean, I, I feel like he becomes suicidal if I block him. So I, I give him, I let him go. I post it. And, and of course, sure enough, every post I have, he's on there, you know, hundred percent trolling, you know? So, so it's uh you've got to, you've got to kind of, you got to have thick skin, but more so than that, it's not even about having thick skin. It's more so about just 
you know, getting a laugh out of it, you know, like you can, you know, it, there's an entertainment value to it, you know, and then God forbid, I'll respond once in a while, forget it, you know, they'll get, they'll get happier, they'll get happy as hell, and then they'll just jump all over it, you know, so, yeah, so it's, uh, you've got to have, uh, you've got to be able to be entertained by it, you know, because if you take this kind of stuff too seriously, you're going to end up stressed, and you, I see, you know, you see today's society, they're very stressed about, you know, their, their, their social media posts and whatnot, I, for me, it's, you know, like there's, you know, there's always people like trying to, to, you know, uh, trying to maintain their, their follower to, to, to how many people they follow ratio. I don't know, bro. I never look at that kind of stuff. You know, I, I see a page that interests me. Uh, if sometimes I'll, I'll follow, sometimes I'll forget to follow and I'll see it back later. I'll be like, oh, I don't follow this page. I'm going to, I'm going to follow it. You know, it's like, that's whatever, man. You know, yeah, I, I don't that, take it that, that That's, that's a. Uh... That's a concern of, of of the regular of the regular common man who 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 otherwise wouldn't have more followers than he has people who he's following. I think that's that, that's something that that's something that you see among among most commoners. But be, people people that have the people that are among the royalty of blue check marks who who have a little bit more following don't definitely you you, you probably don't think about that as much. I yeah I'm I'm with you though like. I, I wonder, I wonder what it would be like if you actually met that guy. Like, what if that guy just fucking turned up at the cafe once at one time in Brooklyn and you actually got him, got to meet him? I wonder, I wonder if you would even, do you, do you think you'd even say, hey, Polly, I'm so-and-so? Like, it's, it's such a weird phenomenon, this idea that you I, have access to I people. doubt it. But, I doubt it. But I can't, I, I, I rarely, very, very rarely dealt with trolls in person. Very, very rarely. I mean, it's happened. Probably no, of course not. You can kill them. You can fucking kill them. They've seen, no, you know what no, you do but, for a living. But, yeah, but I, I, so I, I, so I don't think they would tell me like they're, they're so and so. You know, I've had people tell me that they used to dislike me and they like me, but I'm, it's never the other way around. You know, for the most part, you know, you, like I said, I can probably count on one hand the amount of times people try to troll me in person. You know, um, it's usually in situations where you know, it's a public place and whatnot. But it's really been so rare in comparison to all the people I've met in my life. You know, it's much, much more rare. So I think a lot of times these people are probably in the room with you and they're not saying anything, which naturally makes sense. They don't, they don't really count in life. They make themselves count on social media. Yeah. What, what do you think the biggest, the biggest thing that pro athletes have to deal with that a lot of armchair critics don't even consider, you know, you got, you got guys now who are going to be representing their country and they, they feel incredible pressure that, nobody could relate to but other people that are in that position how, how tough is it when you have even just your family you know people you don't want to disappoint what what's what, what's what sort of yeah, things go on that we don't that, that most people there's, don't. A, there, there's a stress there's a stress in psychology to it um but listen there's a difficulty to it and a stress in psychology but don't don't ever let any any athlete make them you know, here's where I get aggravated too, because athletes make like they're the victim too. A lot of times when they do this, so I'll tell it to you straight. There's a pressure, psychological pressure. There's a, a loneliness to that when there's a big moment coming up and you've got to deal with it. But at the same time, it's also moments that you live for as an athlete. So don't let ever let anybody try to convince you that like they. Because I also noticed that today, like the big playing the victim is like the big thing. You know, it's like the most popular thing. It's like the end oh, yeah. thing. If you can play the victim, you are the coolest guy in the room. So, so you know, naturally. You, you see a lot of athletes doing it too. You don't know what we go through. You listen, bro. I get it. I've been there. We go through a lot. I understand that we eat bosses, especially fighters, put our lives on line. But don't ever for a second get it twisted that those guys don't also don't live for that kind of pressure. Don't live for that kind of stress because it, it, 
overcoming it, dealing with it. That's why you that's why you do this to 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 reach those championship levels and, and feel that pressure. You know, it's part of it's part of why you do this. So so it's uh, there's things that we go through, but we know we're going to go through them and uh, we live for them no matter how difficult they are. And sometimes pressure is a lot, but it's something that, you know, you also live for. Otherwise you wouldn't be doing what you do for a living. You know? Yeah. I mean, that, that's one thing that a lot of athletes talk about when they retire is just how tough it is to go from this, this life of going for go, just basically getting that next yeah. fix. Next time you get, you get, you get the roar of a crowd. And then when that goes away, that's, a lot of a lot of guys seem to go off the deep end when they when they have to try to make sense of the world when they're out of that that little yeah. bubble. Because again, a lot of them do end up living for it. Probably it's not natural, you know. It's not normal for humans to go through that sort of experience. People just yeah. are supposed to get up and try to find a way to. You know, they're they're supposed to try to find a purpose daily, and that that could be training, it could be working a nine to five job, it could be anything, it could be starting a business, it could be doing something creative. But most people. Yeah have this regular day-to-day existence, but intermittently once a week or once every few months, depending on the sport you're in, if it's boxing, fighting, or if it's football, hockey, whatever, you've got these little jolts of adrenaline that people don't tend to get. And then when no. it's gone, it's like, yeah, a lot of, a lot of guys kind of fall off. Yeah. Yeah. Of course. I mean, you always miss it. You, you try to kind of replace your mind with other things. You try to really prioritize other things. You know, life is uh Life is compartmentalized, you know, so you try to really, you know, compartmentalize it and uh, realize that it's part of your life. This is what this is for. This other part of your life. This is what this is for. You know, as you get older, um, you you realize that you can't get your fix physically. So you've got to get your fix mentally, you know, because physically you start to kind of taper off, you know. So it, it's just a matter of understanding that and kind of rebalancing your priorities. Uh, yeah. But of course, yeah, a lot of people uh, don't want to do that a lot of people don't know how to do that and some guys just uh want to live in denial and uh, still live in their past you know it's it's not easy i'll tell you that but but it's, it's part of a part of being an adult you know how does how does the brain damage factor into that because obviously changing changing careers any any big change in your life is difficult to deal with but then you have the fact that you you, you see it in hockey a lot a lot of guys who fought their entire careers wind up going through a really difficult emotional time because of because of repeated blows to the head. Do, do, do you think that's a factor in your sport or just in the sphere of fighting at all? Yeah, I think so. I think so. Absolutely. I think absolutely. Anytime, anybody that, that plays in these very physical contact type of sports may end up dealing with that. You know, I don't think it's, I don't think it's that 100% you're going to deal with it. If, if you took part in that sport, you know, I hope that I don't end up having to deal with any of that so far. I feel like I'm okay, but, but you know, yeah, everybody's got to kind of go through, you know, their post-career life. And sometimes, you know, your career catches up to you later, you know? So, of course, it, it puts something in the way, you know? But, yeah. you know, there's there's pros and cons to every choice you make in life, bro. you know? And that's the thing, you know? you I'm sure if anybody could get the chance to be a professional athlete and live that lifestyle, live that life, they would trade off some kind of damage to, if they were told that as a teenager, you're going to have a successful career. You're going to be a, a pro at the highest levels, but you're going to deal with this kind of damage in your forties. If you tell any 15 year old that, uh, I think that most of them would, uh, would, would probably sign, tell you, ask you what they could sign up for right there. And then right then and there, you know, yeah, they'll sign their fucking life away. Yeah. Do you have any regrets at all to the, 
the life that you chose. You, you've talked about how it, it takes a piece of, you know, it kind of takes a piece out of you every fight, right? And it's not the same as when you're 21 years old. And, you know, as you said, you and you're 15, 16, yeah. someone offers you something like that, you probably sign your life away. But eventually, knowing what you know now at 40, do you, do you still feel good about the, the, the choices you have? Do you, do you, do you regret it at all? I don't know why you would, but I just kind of I thought it was interesting. I regret, I regret certain choices of certain, you know, stupid things, like certain tactical decisions I made in my career, certain things, you know, where I think, oh, with that fight, if I would have done this and this, you know, those, you always are going to have a little bit of regrets trying to change things around. But, but I think um, as far as my career as a whole, no, I mean, I, I, I needed, I needed this in my life. I, I think that, you know, for me personally, I think for a lot of people in a combat sport, it's what they needed in their life at that time in their life to kind of rebalance everything. There's nothing, nothing rebalances the, and, and shifts the, the balance of power in your, in your mind like combat. You know, it'll, sh it'll shift your entire priorities, you know, because not the, if you go into combat and you are not prepared, the consequences are deeper than just uh, a loss. You know, there it's taking a beating. You know, it's taking a beating in front of an audience. It's taking, so, so you will learn that discipline is very, very important. So, it was something I needed in my life. I needed boxing in my life. And then, of course, where it ended up taking me, it took me. I didn't know it was going to take me. Where it was going to take you, me? You know, I think I, I don't think anybody starts a, a career, uh, starts doing this and saying, "Oh, you know what? I'm just going to be an average guy." You know, I mean, you have you start this, and you, you know, you have all kinds of hopes and dreams and goals. So. Um, you know, it, it was something that I needed. So I needed something to, uh, a goal to chase uh, that would interest me, that would uh, really capture my enthusiasm. And boxing did that. So uh, no matter what happened after that, you know, it, it did the job for me, you know? What's the craziest place you ever had to fight? Like, uh, you, 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 you ever fight in like a reception hall or something? You ever fight at like a wedding hall oh, or like an Italian restaurant or some shit? Or yeah, I fought in the low of low and in the high of high. Um, it's funny. The most crazy place I fought, this fight we had in Montreal, actually. I, funny, Elliot, funny enough, we had a fight in Montreal. We were, it was, we were the New York team. It was not a national team. We were the New York team, a New York amateur team. And we came up and we, we went to, we fought in Montreal. And it was like this black tie event of like these really rich guys. And it was a private event, okay? And it was basically a, a Montreal team against a New York team, right? And then we were basically entertaining these guys that were like really, really rich. And they were having like a black tie event. I don't, to this day, I don't know what the event was for, but I just remember one thing, the thing that I remember many things of the night, actually, but one of the things I remember was the, the room was filled with cigar smoke. And I was so annoyed because I don't want to fight, like feeling like I was choking on cigar smoke. You know, I remember being in the dressing room and being annoyed. I was about to fight, but it was an amateur show. Don't get me wrong. We had no pull in it. You know, like these guys were brilliant because we, you know, an amateur show, you don't have to pay anybody. You know, they had this entertainment for the night and they were having basically a black tie event all guys it was like a really like like it was really like a bunch of rich rich guys you could just tell you know and then the ring girls suddenly the ring girls were strippers and of course that that happens a lot of times that, that that's just that's they, just montreal that, that's just because that's it was montreal but this particular time it, they went from being ring card girls to stripping in the ring. Like all of a sudden, these girls were—I guess they were getting drunk. They were showing. They were bringing the ring rounds, round cards into the ring naked, twerking before twerking was a thing. Like twerking from the front end, the back, <laughs> butt naked. And you know we're fighting. You know, so how do you focus so on the fight? So, I mean, it was, uh, again, they weren't big fights. It was a whole amateur team versus another amateur team. You know, so you get a whole night's entertainment with because you got like 12 little fights, you know? 
But these girls, as the night progressed, got wilder and wilder and wilder. And then the guys were throwing money in the ring between rounds. I mean, because they were they were doing the ring guard girling naked, you know. So it was that's probably the wildest event I've I've I've, I've fought with. I fought uh, in, uh, and it's funny because uh, I remember there was computerized scoring. I don't know if anybody's familiar with the computerized scoring system in the amateurs. I don't think they use it anymore. It was basically you know they, these guys pressing buttons to see which punches you land, and then whoever lands more wins. Uh, and I remember they give you the score after every round. And I remember I was given the score that I was up seven six in the after the penultimate round, and then. When the, the final decision was given, it was a 9-6 decision. So I thought, I'm raising my hand. The referee raises my opponent's hand. Then I'm like, bro, how did I just lose a, a 9-6 decision when I was up 7-6 at the, at the end of the last round? I'm like, and I'm looking Wait, at the referee. He's, he's looking at me like, but just the things you go through in the amateurs, you know, just whatever. It was just a bunch of fuckery, you know. But it was, uh, looking back, it was it was an experience as, 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 is, uh, as, is, as are many of my experiences that I've, I've seen, you know. Um, you know, I fought in places like this. I remember early in my box, professional box career, I fought at a, at a, at a hotel ballroom where the lights kept going out. Like mid-fight, the lights kept going out. They had to continue to stop the action and then get the lights back on. The, the generator, I guess, wasn't working or whatnot. You know, and then, you know, you go from one extreme and all of a sudden, you know, to the later parts of my career, to the prime part of my career where I'm fighting in, you know, major Las Vegas casinos. I fought, in, I fought in two footballing stadiums. I fought in the Etihad Stadium in 2008. And I fought in the Shakhtar Donetsk Stadium in uh, 2012 when they was just freshly built for the Euro 2012. And which six months after they built it and when I fought there, they missiled it because of the Donetsk Civil War that was going on. They shot a missile through the whole stadium. I, I mean, a state-of-the-art super stadium. They, this team had a state-of-the-art super stadium. And in six months, it was blown up. But um, so I fought uh, in, in those two, two soccer stadiums. Uh, as well so you know you got the low the low to the high to the high it's really like a like a video game you know when you start out your career you're fighting in these little 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 uh unknown places and then you start to enter these major major arenas that everybody's familiar with i have a business proposal for you let's start a new boxing promotion where we just have girls girls strip in the ring and with the lights going on and off and then when the lights go off the, 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 the light the lights go off while the fight's going on the light comes on there's a girl in the middle of the ring stripping i bet you that would probably wind up doing better than the paul's fighting i swear yeah. to god i swear to god i swear to god listen how, how, how might get you canceled in this day and age though that's the problem you know like, everybody yeah. pretends they don't like certain things but they actually do you know yeah exactly exactly how do you how how how, uh, how jealous are you right now of floyd mayweather for what a genius he is that guy's a that guy's um, not, no jealousy at all. Just a lot of respect when uh, people are able to, uh, you know, continue to uh, be successful and uh, transcend sports, business, and uh, just life in general. You know, that's a political uh, answer, but you know what I mean. Uh, like, like life, the, 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 life, life is not about life is not about money. There's a pro and a con to that, you know, because the pros are yes, he, it's amazing that he's able to do it, and anybody in his position, I think, would do it. But the cons are it does kind of dissipate the the view of the sport i think there i think if you ask a typical person can when you talk about boxing in their mind instead of thinking about tyson fury deontay wilder canelo alvarez anthony joshua they probably think about the pole brothers you know like it's you know the the view of boxing is kind of being a little bit twisted uh in the public eye so that's the only disappointment of it but i understand why it happens at the end of the day you know the it's capitalism. So you, if, if, if there is a product the public will buy and you have it, you definitely will uh, take advantage of it. That's, that's a weird one. Yeah. Because 
I mean, boxing for the longest time was this this working class noble sport, and mm-hmm. it's 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 just it's just what it is. You you under you understand why people want to see this sort of thing happen. I think on 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 your on your podcast recently, you were saying it's like it's like it's like the most popular kids in high school. Everyone wants to see them fight, right? It's it's kind of become that way, you know. It's like uh, if this guy's popular and this guy's popular, and they get into a fight, people want to see it, right? It doesn't matter if somebody else who's less popular knows how to fight much better. It's not as much interest. So, it's life is a popularity contest. Perception is reality, and especially in the social media era, perception really, really is reality. And uh, you know, I, I've learned that through the years as well, uh, especially in my experience with Conor McGregor. Even you know, uh, perception is definitely reality for a lot of people. Yeah. Well, you know, speak something into existence, right? Until you, 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 you have to buy your own bullshit until it becomes true. Sometimes, you know, dress for the job you want. That's what they say. Yeah, absolutely. But, uh, absolutely. yeah, fuck you, 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 you were, you were a part of that first freak show kind of in the, in the background, I guess, you know, a lot of people, a lot of people don't think about the fight camp before it happens, but what was that? What was that like being a part of, one of the two fighters camps obviously you were part of you let's not let's we don't have to get into the whole the whole melee with 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 connor a few years ago but i I I was i always i always like to kind of see you know people in their true element you know Uh, because i've I've met a lot of people in their true element and most people are better people than than they're perceived by the public you know most people are more genuine down to earth behind closed doors you know um so Obviously, everybody always asks me about McGregor and uh, and uh, you know how, what he was like behind closed door. He he's definitely one that buys his own bullshit. I mean, he he buys his own bullshit to the point where his own perception of himself is now. I mean, at that time, I mean, I haven't been around since, but at that time, for sure, it was uh, that he was above everybody else, even his own friends. I mean, everybody had to kind of kiss his ass, and if you didn't kiss his ass, you kind of got the cold shoulder. And you got more than the cold shoulder. I could, I could care less if you're my friend or not. That really doesn't matter to me. But he kind of like he started to like plot against you in like weird, weird ways. Like he'd have he'd have me show up to the gym and not spar, even though he was supposed to spar me. You know, uh, one day he had me show up to the gym and then tell me I wasn't allowed to train. That's when I had it. That's when I had it. You know, because I had already just beaten him up a couple of days before, and he put out the picture of uh, of me on the ground after he shoved me down from from holding my head back. Um, so I was like, you know, I just beat him up and he put out this picture. So I'm like, now nah, I'm going to kick the living shit out of this guy, you know? And instead he did not, he had me show up to the gym to tell me, no, nah, listen, you can't spar, you can't train here because I got to train and I'm not going to spar you, even though he was supposed to spar me again. And that was kind of like, all right, bro. Yeah. All right, bro. You know what? This is, we're going to play these games constantly. You know what we're going to do? Because I don't kiss your ass and the rest of our of this camp kisses your ass. I'm just going to pick up my stuff and go, because this, I'm not going to deal with this for three weeks, you know, especially that I'm beating the shit out of you uh, and I'm going to beat that. I mean, I, I, he would have probably risked not getting to the Mayweather fight if I would have got in better and better shape of staying there for the next, those next three weeks. So I think he knew better than me that he needed to figure out a way to get me out of camp uh, after that sparring session. And I mean, for me, it didn't really matter. I mean, you know, it's, it's, I'm not, I'm not a part of the fight. I'm not getting paid for it. So I had no problem just taking my stuff and leaving. Yeah. But I mean, like, did, did you, did you think that the whole thing was entirely crazy? Because that was the first, that was the first real big, that, I mean, that was the first I, time that Floyd had I gone remember into boxing getting, like that. Yeah, and did you think it was a freak show it at was, the time? It was, a, 
it was a freak show the whole time. I mean, I, I got into the gym, the spa, and he had a referee. He wanted a referee by a real referee. Like, he wanted the whole stare down before the sparring. Like, like it was just a, a, a clown show one from one, one, one moment to the next. And I'm like, what are we doing here, you know? Then we sparred, and he was one of the worst I've ever sparred. I mean, I wasn't even in shape when we went 12 rounds. So that goes that alone should tell you who got the better of the action. Because to give a beating, you have to be in shape, but to take a beating, you got to be in even better shape, you know? So there is no way I could have took a beating and go 12 rounds with a guy who, who, you know, was getting ready for a fight and I hadn't been training for the past four months, you know? So, so I remember to be expected, yeah, yeah, right? I, 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 you're, I a, you're, you're a pro boxer and he was, and he's not, he has, he's a guy who has boxing as one of his tools in the shed, you know, I, you're I a guy who only boxes. It correction, I was a retired pro boxer. You know, I had just had my last fight four months prior and, you know, anybody that trains knows that to get in shape, it takes months, but to fall out of shape probably takes a couple of weeks, you know? So I hadn't really trained at all for the previous four months. And, and I went 12 rounds with this guy and uh, I got the better of it. He probably would have caught it worse if I could, if I had the, the win to follow up on a lot of my assaults, but nonetheless, I got the point, you know? And I was like, come on. I remember coming out of the ring and being like, they're about to make hundreds of millions of dollars. This is a joke. Like this guy is about to fight Floyd Mayweather. I was like, this is crazy. I, I remember thinking, like, people are really going to buy this bullshit. I was Because like, I just got in the ring with this guy, and I, he was he was order, ordinary beyond ordinary. And I'm like, this guy's going to fight Mayweather. And sure enough, when I went to see Mayweather the night before the, the weigh-in, or the night before the fight, I don't remember now when it was, uh, I remember he was just joking around with me. Like, he barely trained for the fight. You know what I'm saying? He was doing some shadow boxing in the gym. Um, he was just in such a good mood because he was about to make all this free money for a fight he basically barely trained for, you know? So it was, I remember thinking like, wow, this is, this is the, the epitome of perception is reality. And like you said, yeah, it was the first of, of many of these, you know, now you've got the YouTuber generation coming in and fighting. So listen, perception is reality. You got to buy your own bullshit. And if you're able to do that, you're able to uh, be a great salesman. You're, it'll translate. It'll definitely translate in this generation. Yeah. You know what I would a dumb enough generation to sell it to. And then thankfully for these guys, that's what exists right now. For sure. You you know what I would have liked to have seen is I would have liked to have seen you maybe 10 years ago, circa 2010, 11, in one of these freak exhibition boxing events. I would have liked to have seen you fight like Vidi Guananino or something, or like one of the Jersey Shore guys at the peak of their powers (laughs) when you were still when you were still in your prime. That would have been that would have been that would have been unreal. That would have been the that would have been the money event on the northeast the northeast coast. I mean, yeah, it's funny. We would have probably gone crazy. I know Vinny. I know Vinny very well. We've actually, you know, we're, we're friends. We have uh, we've hung out with him, uh, you know, many, many times. Now he's doing the show again, so I haven't seen him in a while. But we used to be in nightclubs every week together, you know, after the, the first run he had of uh, Jersey Shore. And I had, yeah. just won my sec- I had just won my second world title. And uh, it's funny. I remember, uh, you know, looking back, he was really, really a, a, a big figure. So, I mean, I think potentially Vinny could probably still do it against somebody. You know, you now, you, now that you have this generation, <laughs> yeah. I think potentially if you make a, a reality star versus another reality star, I, I think they'll make big money boxing, you know? Like You'll now, be in his I, corner. I might actually call up, I might actually call up Vinny and, and, and bring this idea up to him and be like, yo, listen, I'll train you. We'll be the, be the, his, the you'll be in his corner. Him. You'll be in his corner. Yeah. I will. And, yeah, and, he can do some promo on this pod. Have, no problem. We, yeah. Yeah. We got to create a beef with another popular TikTok or reality star. I'm telling you, it would break records. Now that yo, you you just gave me an idea. It would break records. <laughs> let's 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 fucking do it. Yeah. I don't. And, and you know you know what would have been great about it is, 
Uh, no one would have been able to tell the difference between the two of you. No one would have known who was on Jersey Shore and who was the pro boxer until you started throwing hands. But you look, you look, you, you looked uncannily like them, man. By the way, why the fuck, why the fuck does Paulie D spell his name with a Y? Can we discuss this, Paulie? Paulie, I don't know. P a u l i is the way to spell Paulie. There, you, there's, it doesn't doesn't factor in. It doesn't make sense. It, I, I don't get that. Yeah. I think uh, I think it just stuck, you know. You know, it's funny, like people growing up call you Paulie, but you know, you don't really sign your name Paulie. So I don't think anybody ever thinks about the spelling of it until they have to start like putting it down, you know. Yeah. Uh, because even your documents, you just usually spell Paul or Paolo, you know, whatever your name is. So it's like it's funny because I don't think I don't think you know it probably just started as with a Y. People started writing it with a Y, and then it kind of just stuck, you know. It's uh, it's one of those things, I guess. Yeah, I talked about this. I talked about this on a pod recently. My girl, I don't know if you listen at all, but my, my girlfriend has a cousin named Joey. Birth name Joey. His, his birth certificate Joey. So oh, Joey's a, it's a, not even Joseph or Joe. He's not Giuseppe. He, he's Joey. He goes to yeah. He he goes to Italy. They can only call him wait Joey. Joey, come about Joey. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I had a cousin. Had a cousin uh, Giuseppe. But everybody, uh, you know, but he's raised in Brooklyn. Everybody's called him Joey. Of yeah, that's how my grandpa's with Joey, not Joey, Joey. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. They like they, they invert the emphasis on the wrong syllable. Um yeah. so let's what's what's going on with AMC? Why 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 are we holding at this point? How how up are you? Just just take I'm cut up, your cut bit, your I'm, cut your I'm profits. Up a amount of money. Here's the thing with AMC. Uh you know, from everything that I'm hearing and I'm seeing, they're it's a bunch of fuckery too, because what they're what they're not covering the shorts, and what they're doing is continuing to borrow to cover the shorts with more fake synthetic shares. So to put it in layman's terms, you're borrowing from Peter to pay back Paul, right? And so you're just creating more and more debt. Right. Here's the thing though, there's so much corruption on Wall Street and within the government that who, at what point are the rules enforced? Because at what the more they do this, all they're doing is creating more and more and more and more and more and more and more debt, right? Until they're forced to cover. But here's my problem. Who enforces this coverage now? Are they just going to be able to continue to do this and this thing goes up slowly like this? Because, because once they're forced to cover it, once it's forced to be paid, this thing shoots up like a rocket, right? So, so my question is, how is they is is this still able to be continued to keep covering with fake synthetic shares one, uh, one short after another after another, and then this thing still goes makes progresses a little bit too slowly, you know? So that's my thing. There's definitely corruption. That's the whole reason they're in, they're in this problem to begin with is because of the short and corruption. But at what point are you going to now have to pay for it? And who's enforcing the rules? Or are the rule enforcers, those guys, those same guys breaking the rules? Because this is where it, you end up with a, with a big, big mess. Greed is a crazy, crazy thing, bro. Greed is a crazy thing. And when you have this greed, you're able to buy off all the media too. You know let's, what? Because let's be honest. It's a, it's a real shame that the media is not is not covering this the way they're supposed to. They're they're they're, they're supposed to do a better job with this. Let, let's call it let's call it what it is. This is this is your current retirement venture, right? You're 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 semi retired. You're semi retired now. Yeah, you're, it's yeah. it's a moral battle you're fighting. You're fighting a moral battle. Listen, it's it's for me personally. I've never been one for the system. You know what I'm saying? Like I've always been anti-system, right? I mean, and not, not that I'm not that if the system was good for me, like I, I, I go for it, but you know, for example, I supported Trump, you know, Trump was, uh, and the anti-system guy, right? Whatever. Uh, yeah. I'm a, I'm a, uh, I'm a, uh, you know, I'm seeing this. And now it's funny because now you see this situation. Yes, of course I'm in it for the money, obviously, but you also, once you start to get into it and you learn it, you see how much corruption is there. And you're just like, man, 
systemically. There is so much corruption going on here too. And then it drives you crazy when you see how much people get away with the constant, constant corruption. Because when you're, it's funny, because when you're in school, they tell you all the time, cheaters never win. Then you got up and you grow older and you realize, wow, cheaters always win. It's they crazy. Only, cheaters, it's cheaters only win. Yeah. Cheaters constantly win. As a matter of fact, the cheaters are all the ones in power. They wouldn't be in power if they weren't cheaters. Yeah, you, so, you see it in sport too, man. You see it in yeah, sport yeah, too. Yeah, all the time. But it's just crazy because... So you, you start to wonder when are they going to be forced to cover? That's the thing. That's the only thing here. They're 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 dead in the water as far as I'm concerned. It's just when are they going to be forced to cover? Who is going to enforce this? Is the SEC really going to enforce this? And they, and at what point? I mean, once it's enforced, at what point is the government going to step in and just say, "Listen, we're going to put a cap on your money because this thing is going to shoot like a volcano, and we don't have this kind of money. Otherwise, we're going to we're going to bankrupt the entire government, right? So because the government is behind them, everything, right? So so in my opinion, you know what? does one have to do that's my question what does one have to do in order to solve the whole thing all this all this really all this really proves is the amount of greed human beings have you know power corrupts and people in power constantly 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 have greed uh, or become corrupt and 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 all this other kind of stuff at what point do you have to do you just play by the rules and just let society be you know what i'm saying like at what point you know one of the reasons yeah, no, no, go, go on. I'll let you finish. And then, and, then, and then it's funny because I see a guy the other day saying, oh, you know what? These people, the, the short squeezers, why, why are they so greedy? It's at 10. He gets to 25 and 30. Is that enough? What do you mean, isn't that enough, bro? Mean, now the, enough. The, now that the, the squeezers are showing the same greed you had that put you there, now you're mad because now you're on the other side of the greed, right? So listen, if it's good for the goose, it's good for the gander. Personally speaking, I'd rather the entire system not get totally discombobulated because I, I feel like, Personally, uh, in my opinion, we're on the verge of a, of a hyperinflation soon. And you can kind of you can kind of see it teetering if you look at the prices slowly, slowly shooting up. So I'd, I I would rather not have something so dramatic happen that that could really tear up the system. But at the same time, they do need to pay their fair share now. You know, they've lost. They've lost. So so at what point are they going to pay their fair share? It's it's very rare now that you see people at the top of any given hierarchy or pecking order that that just have the best interest of the collective little guy in mind, the collective in mind, the little guy in mind. And we see it in football too. I think one of the reasons that international football is beautiful now is because it's really the purest form of football that we still have. It's devoid of money at all. And listen, I, 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 I worked for a football club until – very recently, I, I understand. Like, I, I'm I'm not against clubs working in their be, you know, working in their in their in their in their best interest. I understand their duty to do so and be sustainable. But there's something beautiful about there's something beautiful about international football now in the, the, that you don't tend to get in other parts of football. It's very tribal, which can be good, can be bad. But I mean, when you when you look at a club like Juventus now, I know you're you're a Juve fan like I am. Neither of us are from Torino, right? Football, it's football, right? The, the Juve, Juve as a club was founded by workers in the city of Turin, and it's become this this global phenomenon now to the point that guys in Montreal and Brooklyn are supporting them. When it comes to international football, you have this, you still have this tribal thing. I've been I've I've an Italian background. You have an Italian background. We're part of the same tribe, and in in a lot of in a lot of ways that makes it beautiful. Because I don't know, you, you 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 see you see it now. You see you see just people at the top of the top of FIFA and UEFA enacting enacting regulations that are 
in a lot that in, in many cases benefit the individuals who are deciding where the goalposts are. It's the same thing, you know. It's transposed into sport, like it is in life and in 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 world finance. Yeah, yeah, and 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 that's where you know, if you if you are for free market competition, then you can't corrupt the free market competition. You know, you can't corrupt the free market because otherwise, it's not free market competition anymore. And uh, international football, there was a time where I think it was much, much more beautiful. I think it was more. I mean, I I can remember the time when I was a kid where players knew it was a world cup year and you could see their statistics would diminish like 75 percent, knowing they had to save themselves for the following summer because the world cup was the biggest thing ever i can i can remember a time like that where before again in my opinion uh, that guys have done so many steroids now that it doesn't matter how, how how much they put they don't have to push back anymore they can play double the games and still have plenty left for the summer competition as well in but football I can remember you you, you, oh, hang on we're, we're going a million miles a minute here you think you think that steroid use in football is the thing because i Listen, I, I'm sure. I'm sure. I'm sure that. I'm sure that doping occurs at all levels of elite competition. I know that in fighting, it's a little bit different because bigger, bigger guys tend to have an advantage. I know that you fight within weight classes and shit, but I mean, in football, it's a little bit different. I think it might be what, like, like anabolic, anabolic. Um, no, I, I don't uh, think it has to do with uh, muscle steroids. I, there are uh, endurance blood, steroids, blood, blood doping, because the Spanish, the Spanish Federation was embroiled in a. In a pretty bad scandal a few years ago, it involved yeah. Real Madrid and Rafa Nadal, and apparently a bunch of urine sandal, samples got destroyed and shit. You, you know, yeah, we, we, you know, we don't really funny. talk about this in the in the in the in the public sphere. But sorry, just just kind of wanted to bring back to the to the point of what you were saying because again, we're kind of we're kind of going all over the place. I love it. It feels like a discussion in a cafe, <laughs> but but uh, yeah. So so you, you were you were saying you think that it doesn't matter now because. Um, there are physical. There are means now that that athletes have at their disposal that didn't exist 30 years ago, perhaps. Yeah, I think I think. Listen, the Bosman ruling in 1996 was both positive and negative. From a, a, a positive standpoint, um, it allowed players to free themselves up when their contract ended. You know, there was a time before 1996 where if your contract ended with your club, you still a, a team to sign you still had to pay a transfer fee to the to your club. Even if your contract was done, they had the they were called the rights to you. They had the rights to you. Uh, my father was a third division player. He got, he had a chance to go up in the higher divisions, you know. But you know, uh, at the end of his contract, you know, they weren't given a free transfer. They wanted the money, and you know, he wasn't that important to get a, a third division player. It's not as important to uh, to uh, for the Serie A team to or the Serie B team to to play, to pay that to pay that extra money when they can just go get somebody else out of their youth system or something. You know what I'm saying? So, end of the day it was better for the players to be able to make more money by having this free market uh, open up a bit better through the Bosman ruling. Also, uh, they were able to go into all parts of Europe as they wanted. You know, you started seeing a lot of the, a lot of the leagues intermingle with a lot of players from other countries, whereas before most of the guys stayed in their own country. So from that perspective, yeah, I think it, 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 it allowed players to be able to make money. But then from another perspective though, it brought the greed out because then something is good until it becomes too much of something good, you know? And at this point now, all the leagues became so top heavy, you know what I'm saying? Because now, now there's no, there's not, there's not really any caps on, on, on the market. And you've got these super, super rich teams just buying championships and you've got these medial middle, middle table and lower table teams that will never catch up again. You know, I remember as a kid, Verona won the city on 1985, bro. You know what I'm saying? Yes. Lester won those. Yes. Lester won the, won the Premier League a few years ago. Okay. But now you try, you know, 
just when you had Atalanta's playing competitive, very competitive, very good football. But now all of a sudden you try to you go you try to go out and create a European Super League where you qualify only for the money, only because you have money, and every other team ha- has to struggle and then get their way up there. And just being part of the Super League every year, you get a super a stupendous amount of money just for being in the Super League. Doesn't matter how good you are to start the Super League. Eventually, those Super League teams would have been the most amazing teams because having the triple the money everybody else has, quadruple the money everybody else has you're going to buy all of the players. So there will become a certain point where you're going to create those teams to be the best teams and everybody else will be a, 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 a lower rung, a lower rung below them, right? So, but when you're starting it, you just see the point of it. Teams like Arsenal, teams like Milan. Bro, you're not even in the Champions League. Arsenal's not even in next year's Champions League. You, you qualify because you have money. You know what I'm saying? Well, and then every other team has to struggle to get there. All it would have done was eliminate a middle class of soccer. For me, it was sporting For me, it was, would have been sporting communism. I want, I, I want, I'm all for parity. I'm all for guys getting getting more money. And then all of a sudden, what happens? Just as in anything else in life, human beings can't help themselves. It becomes too much of a good thing, becomes bad, and the greed took over everything. And that's what they're trying to do now. And I, you know what? It's funny. Eventually, they will they will succeed with the Super League. I'm I'm, I'm sure they will succeed. The UEFA and FIFA were just mad that they weren't included in this thing. That's all it was. At well, the end of the well, day, once you the include issue, them, they'll be able to figure out a way to do it. Yeah. Well, the, the issue was actually that they wanted to, in a lot of ways, break away from UEFA and use the power that they, yeah. as and clubs, had. That's what Wayfair was fighting for. But Wayfair, Wayfair wasn't mad because it was the wrong thing to do. Wayfair was mad because they weren't involved. Well, you know it's to the point that I well to the point that I was making, it's it's very rare that you see people at the top of any given food chain thinking about the 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 health of the whole organism. In a lot of ways, of hey, that whole idea doesn't exist in practice course, in yeah. most but cases. So, but the idea that football is a beautiful thing for for working class people and shit—it sounds nice in principle. But and when they'll, you and are they'll, and they'll, the and they'll hypocritically say, you know, they'll they'll throw out they'll they'll. They'll put things out like saying no to racism. No shit, Sherlock. Say no to racism, of course. You know, so they'll make like they're they're for the little guy. Then at the end of the day, when it, when push comes to shove, who's the little guy? It's always a money. It's always a money scheme. The little guy. The little guy is the one who doesn't who's not on the same level financially as you. So are you really looking out for the little guy? Not really. Well, they they have the but Juve, Inter, Milan, and every other club that joined that Super League had to look out for their own self interest. They are they they were they're bleeding money right now. In in the past year, they they've gotten their asses kicked by COVID, and I think the reason this was ramped up as quickly as it was was because, in a lot of cases, the, the clubs were desperate. And again, there are a lot of there are a lot of elements to the whole Super League thing that I think a lot of people aren't quite aware of. We have we have to kind of just go off assumptions here. Like if we we don't we don't know if this had been planned for a year. We don't know if you know. I, I it's clear that Andrea Agnelli of Juve had been thinking about it for quite some time. He'd been advocating for more power to the clubs for a while. But we don't know if maybe a month before they made that press release that sent the world into into you know into into disarray. What was it a month ago? A f- few weeks ago? We don't know if maybe. Weeks out from that, they just got Inter and Man City to jump um, to jump on board. Like, like it's it's not abundantly clear. But what what I think, what I what I suspect is that the reason that it was allowed to happen, the reason that it was able, the re, the reason the reason that it happened when it did was because of the fact that a number of the clubs were in very dire financial situations. Real Madrid and Barcelona are 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 skint right now. I don't know how they're going to go on and pay for any player in the transfer market. Inter, Inter are, 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 are in such a terrible financial position that 
they can't even keep their title winning side together. That's why Antonio Conte left. So, you know, I, I, I get it. The clubs have to look out yeah, for their Antonio, own best interest. But... Antonio Conte left for Tottenham. Listen, the Premier League is always going to have one way to say yeah, regardless. You know? Yeah, he, he actually, he actually, well, yeah, he, he, he left because he, he's a very stubborn guy and because they were going to have to dismantle his team. And he said, sorry, not willing to do that because kind of yeah, like, kind of like. Yeah, but Ancelotti left Everton for Real Madrid. It's the same thing. I mean, you, the, the, the more money, if, if these teams are bleeding money, how are they affording these kind of guys? You know what I'm saying? Like you, you obviously have more money than, than, the, than, than the smaller teams. You know what I'm definitely. saying? So Yeah, definitely. So, but they also spend more than them. So you, because, because they have to spend within their means, if they're overspending their, you know, well, what they're making, course, that, becomes, then, that becomes the issue. But, right? so. but then if COVID happens, why do you get to break the rules and, and, and just go have a form a breakaway league to fix yourself when everybody else is going through the same? Everybody else is going through the same thing too. You know what I mean? Everybody's spending according to their own budget. You know what I'm saying? These yeah. teams that have less, bigger stadiums, they don't have as many sponsors. They're suffering too. You know, they don't, they don't, they don't get the, the, they don't have the privilege and the elitism to kind of uh, create new rules for themselves, you know? So for me, it's basically the sporting version of communism. You're going to create an elite class. You're going to have no middle class. And then you're going to have a, a, a poverty stricken class, which would have been the domestic leagues. You know what I'm saying? The, the, the idea was really to just replace the Champions League where, where UEFA But if you replace the, the Champions League, you have to qualify. you got to qualify for the Champions League. I'm sorry. There's a reason Atalanta was there. Teams like Leicester were in it. I'm sorry. You don't get a free bit to the Champions League just because you're Arsenal, just because you're Milan. Milan hasn't been in the Champions League in, in three, four years. You know what I'm saying? So, so Eight, you don't until get until this bit. past year. Until this year, yeah. It's been they're going to be in the next season. But what I'm saying is you don't get to break the rules just because you're this team. Like, the Champions League, you know, criticize it for what it is, at least you have to qualify for it. You have to actually perform in your own league, get the results, and then you qualify for the Champions League. It is a reward for performance. The yeah. Super League was a reward just because you're rich. I'm sorry, that's not sports anymore to me. That's not, I'm sorry. It's, it's not sports anymore to, to me. If you have to take a step back, it doesn't matter. You still have more, if, 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 if teams are suffering because of COVID, then they're all suffering because of COVID. So restructure hey, your hey, budget. listen, listen, if, 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 a YouTuber fighting the arguably greatest boxer to ever walk the face of the earth, or certainly the most successful boxer to walk the face of the earth. If that's the, if that's the degradation of boxing uh, in our society, then the European Super League, you could have argued, might have been the degradation of what was also a beautiful working man's sport in football yeah. for a modern yeah. society. I didn't want to see it happen, you know, but I understand why they did it. The intention was also not to leave their leagues. Um, UEFA kind of dropped that yeah, on them, and that was enough to scare yeah, some of them out of it, but... They would have fielded a B team for the for the for this domestic league. You know, they would have they would have they would have fielded a B team, and they would have been able to afford a B team too, because because they you know you're getting the bonus just for being a part of the Super League every single year was astronomical. So so you know they would have they, they wouldn't have they would have played in their own league, but they would have fielded a B league. It's like when Italians first started playing in the Europa League. I remember Italian teams constantly fielded a B team in the Europa League. You know what I'm saying? Like it was kind of, it was all about the Champions League. But a lot of Italians still field a B team in the Europa League. You know, so unless you start reaching yeah. deep into the tournament, depends, depends so, where your priorities lie. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, So, so, so if you would have forced them to play in their own league, they would still would have fielded a B team and then fielded their 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 stellar team for the for the Super League. You know, listen to a degree it would have been interesting, but at the end of the day, it would have killed football as we know it. And um, I'd rather stick with principle culture you still have the champions league i think the champions league uh, for 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 the negativity that people can talk about is still a beautiful thing you still have this elite 
competition that you have to qualify for. It doesn't matter. You have to qualify for it. I don't believe it's sports if you no longer if you eliminate the qualification process. I'm sorry. I think. It's, I it's think. No I think. Yeah. The qualifying the, the, is just about money. It's not no longer a sport. The meritocracy is super important, but I do think that I do think that UEFA probably got the message now. A lot of these clubs. Hang on, hang on. Gave them a big fucking scare. And I think, I think as a result, they're going to be ready to concede a little bit of a larger piece of the pie to the clubs, which at the end of the day, I think is all they were going for. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. That means that if you qualify for the Champions League, you get a little more money. It's beautiful. Brilliant. You know, the clubs are the main attraction anyway. Not because it's UEFA that organizes it, people watch. It's because the teams that are involved are among the best arguably the best right that's so i i understand where they were going with it let's 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 talk about the euro man what uh what do you make of uh this azuri side everybody's everybody's kind of you know saying that we're being slept on i don't know that that's actually the case anymore i think a lot of people seem to i mean first of all italy's never slept on by virtue of who we are i mean anytime you play italy in a major tournament people well, i think take us seriously um I think people are slowly noticing now that going into the tournament, we're probably one of the top five sides to deal with. Um, where, where do you where do you see us going? What uh, what uh, what do you make of the team? Well, I do think I do, I do think we're being slept on to a degree. I, I don't. I, I think Italy has a reputation for not playing uh, uh, entertaining football. So you know, people always think about that. But I think our new brand of football, you know, Mancini has this this modern style we're playing and we're scoring goals. Uh, it's really really pleasurable to watch. Um, I look forward to seeing if they can, if they can really put it together in a tournament fashion, you know, because the way we're looking, I mean, I, we're one of the hottest teams in Europe. I mean, we're under Mancini. We've had a really good streak, you know, I've really been playing well um, as a national team. Uh, it's funny enough, because Turkey's also been pretty hot. So we're opening with them. But, yeah, a, lot of but nonetheless, a lot of Italians are sleeping on Turkey. I think they can, they yeah, can no, probably Turkey go on a really well. long deep run into the yeah. tournament. You get but, that sometimes a team out of nowhere that makes a semifinal. I think they could be that team. Especially yeah. in the Euro. Because the teams are so familiar with each other. I mean, let's face it. Greece won the 2004 European Cup, you know, and they played well doing it too, you know, so. They so, played I mean, well. Greece played well. Holy. Yeah, come on. Greece, Greece come on. was there. Set, they were scoring constantly on set pieces. They they were very, very disciplined. And some of them playing well. I don't, I don't play. I don't consider well just entertaining. I'm Gr- about, the way Greece very, played very, football. Pauly, Pauly. The they way Greece very, played football was the way Floyd Mayweather boxes. <laughs> it was it was the boring. But they were very very disciplined, and their execution was well. You know, as a as a, as an athlete, I can appreciate their ability to execute so well. I mean, they didn't play. When I say well, I don't mean entertaining. Listen, you you can play you can play well and still lose. You can play and and you play well and not be entertained. You know, like there, it's, there's it's one true. thing. It's true. Know, People never always the one thing people always forget about football and just sports in general, entertainment value and efficiency are not necessarily going hand in hand. You know what I'm saying? I mean, actually, a lot of Italy teams are living proof of that. You know what I'm saying? I'll tell you what, Argentina in 1990, when they eliminated us, that whole that Argentina side of the whole tournament was not entertaining at all, but they were efficient in their in their play. Okay, and Greece in 04 is the same thing. They were efficient in what they did. They were not the most entertaining team, but they were efficient. Character, you're able to assume that you're able to absorb pressure, stay stay solid, uh, very, very good on set pieces. Regardless of the fact, what I'm saying is Europe in general just brings out these weird results. Denmark in 1992, you know, is another is another example. Um, teams are so familiar with each other that they kind of, it, you don't get the same kind of results, you know. 
um, in a tournament like this. Uh, I think, though, I think Italy, this is a new brand of Italy. I think um, this is a fun team to watch. I think uh, we're, we have an attacking mindset. Uh, I think Mancini brings that modern mindset, modern footballing mindset. The only thing that scares me is uh, up front. Uh, I'm not crazy about any one of our forwards. I, I'm not crazy about uh, our ability to put the ball in the net when it counts. Um, I'm hoping that I'm wrong. Uh, that that's where I, uh, I, 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 I have a little bit of fear, you know, um, is our, our, we don't have a, a real clear cut finisher. And I don't want to hear anybody tell me immobile because immobile forgets he's immobile when he puts on the Italy jersey a lot of times. So I, I'd love for him to, to really have a breakout, breakout tournament, the way, he, the way he plays a lot here, you know? Yeah. Well, it would be, t- it would be high time at 31 years old that, that he do that. I granted, we haven't played an international tournament in five years, but I think Immobile seems to just do really well against Italian defenses. I don't know what it is, but at the international <laughs> stage, something which is which is ironic because they're 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 the most well drilled. I know that's the stereotype, right? That Italian mm-hmm. football is super slow and defensive. It's it's not necessarily the case anymore, but it is true that they're still the most well coached tactically well-oiled defensive units in Europe. Seems to not have an issue scoring there, but when he gets to when he gets to international competition, I'm with you. Like I definitely don't have confidence in him, but um, I don't have confidence. I don't have confidence in him to replicate his club form for us. That's for sure. Yeah. But but I think you know and that's what you'd need. That's what you'd want essentially. You know because yeah. I, I I really believe in this team uh, the rest of the way. Uh, if we've got a, a players that we can count on to put the ball in the net and uh, finish the action. I really, really think we can try to win the whole tournament. I really believe that. I, I'm with you. And here's the thing, bro. Here's the thing, bro. Immobile is not a guy that burns past three men at a time. He is a finisher. No. And a lot of the wingers we have right now, but hold on, hold on. Insigne and Chiesa are very different players, but they're both very good at creating space. Insigne with his little, you know, little movement, little shimmy. Yeah, and kind of goes, yeah. And then Chiesa is very good at opening up play by burning guys like a racehorse with blinders on and putting balls across the box. I mean, Immobile just has to make smart runs. If he could do that and he gets balls in the box, I think he, he, he'll, he'll, have to, he'll have to score. There's guys, that go on a run. There's guys that made a career out of being in the right place at the right time and, and, just, and, and having that sense that knows for the goal. You know, the, the guys that made it. Inzaghi was like that. You know, Inzaghi was not going to – I don't know if Inzaghi ever dribbled past the defender in his career. You know what I'm exactly. saying? But he was – he had a nose for the goal, and he could dribble around the goalkeeper if he had to. That was the one guy you could see Zaghi dribble around. When he not was very, wide. not very well. If you remember that goal in 2016, no, that Simone, but remember Simone Barone is still waiting for that pass against the Czech Republic. It was, <laughs> yeah. Just, but yeah. it's the same thing because he did the same thing against Liverpool in the Champions League final in 07. The little, the little, the little, the little tip, the little tip, the little tip. Yep, yep. yep. Right he had the same one on one move against every keeper, but it worked. It worked for him, you know. And he didn't have to use it against a defender. Against a defender, he he, he, he wouldn't dribble away, but he was just a, yeah. a one touch scorer, you know. Yeah, um, he was a one trick pony for sure. But he was great at that one trick. Yeah, of course, and and he made a great career out of scored a ton of goals, a ton of big goals. Um, I just I, I don't know. I, I you gotta know who you are and who you're not. We know who Immobile is. Does Immobile know who he is? Does he know his and, – and, and, and does he have that – does he feel that pressure to where now this is the time to reform? All of Italy is really dependent on him, you know, because you don't want to be that guy. You know, I mean, it, Walter Zenga is still hated for the for the 1990 World Cup team because we had – he cost 22 other players a World Cup championship. That is the best Italy team I've ever seen in my life. But Zenga's mistake in the semifinal against Argentina cost 22 teammates a World oh. Cup. I, 100%. There was without a shadow of a doubt we would have won that World Cup. We were the best team in the tournament. At so home. you 
want to you don't want to be that guy you don't want to be that guy in a, uh where the rest of your team is ready ready to go and 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 you are the guy that that everybody's gonna look back on and say man we went we really had it all together but this guy this guy right here was a, was a was a was a was a, a link that we just didn't need. You know what Listen, I'm saying? as so, long as as long as if to. he takes a penalty and he puts the ball on target and he doesn't do a little fake cucchiaio like Pele did five years ago <laughs> or Sky like Bajo did in '94 or, or or do a tiptoe run up like Zadza did. If you just that's if he yeah. puts it, you know what you know what I'm you know what I'm mortified about. I'm mortified about the prospect of us losing a penalty shootout because Jorginho's no, gonna do one of those little hips, those little hops and skips. Jorginho's little hop and skip gives me a heart attack every time and it's very efficient but if it doesn't work people can say what the fuck are you doing just run up and hit the ball the hard football, the football hard with Donnarumma in that honest I think we got a great keeper I think Donnarumma is a great keeper and we're not the Italy of old but I'll, I'll tell you what uh, Zaza I mean that was unbelievable Italy it will be the only team in my life that will lose a shootout where the opponent missed three penalty kicks I, I remember saying that when we lost that penalty shootout to Germany in 2016. Germany missed three penalties. We missed four. We, are, we went into extra rounds. I think we went to, through seven rounds of kicks. But there is you will not find another team in your lifetime where the opposition misses three kicks in the shootout and still, and still they lose the shootout, okay? Only Italy could pull that off. So shootouts are obviously leave me with a bad taste in my mouth. I believe we have a great keeper if we need to go to a shootout. But with Donnarumma, if we got guys that can put the ball in the net, Donnarumma, I'm really confident in Donnarumma. Him and his uh, Paris Saint-Germain rumors. Is he going to Paris Saint-Germain, this guy? It, it, it looks, Talk it looks about like Jason it. Lombardi. I it wanted like him to sit out. Unbelievable. Uh, but you know what? If there was one league he was going to go to that would be smartest, it is league on Because, I mean, if he was going to go to the Premier League, forget it. All bets would have been off. I don't know what club would have had him. But the <laughs> idea of him at 22 going to the Prem – like yeah. this, this Napoletano kid who only speaks Italian, I think it would have been a, a, a nightmare, a nightmare. Yeah. Like Kepa Arizabalaga, like at Chelsea. Yeah. At least at PSG, he's going to have a little bit more shelter. The league's going to be very similar to Italy in that it's going to be a little less. I don't know. It's, it's going to be an easier league than Italy. I don't know what I'm saying. It's going to be an easier yeah, league no, than Italy. Yeah. The defense, and the defense close, won't be as good. But... And he's close to home. Yeah. And French is easier to learn than Ita- than than English if you speak Italian. It's not like a stupid thing, but uh, I'll bet you I'll bet you that that place part. I don't know. Italians have done well there. I I don't know if he had, yeah. if he had gone. And, and like, PSG does need a keeper. Navas Navas to me in, in his in his in his prime is one of the best keepers in the world. Okay, okay, well, but he's he's older, injury prone. It's a great move for PSG. I just would have rather seen Donnarumma stay in uh, stay in Italy. You know, no, de- definitely. Did you know that Keller Navas is getting paid twelve million net a year? He's the second highest paid keeper on earth. I found that oh, out today. Keller Navas, I don't know how you rate him. Navas in his in his day in, in his prime. Keller Navas is a really good keeper, man. I really, 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 really am, am impressed with him. You know, but he's just getting older. It's not the same thing anymore. You know, so. So um and they they, they relegated City yeah they relegated City with a third choice keeper from being first choice keeper within a summer so I mean if they if they have to they'll 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 cut him loose if he's you know they'll, they'll put the old dog down if they have to I think Gijo will do fine there a lot of people are going after him for chasing the money I you know you can't fault the guy's ages no nah, you can't I mean this is the this is the this is the world we live in at the end of the day it's just a personal thing I would have loved to see him stay in Italy but you know 22 years old um. Paris Saint-Germain, you actually have a chance to win the Champions League. Uh, I don't know what what Italian team will really be a threat to win the Champions League right now, so we'll see. Yeah. Listen, Paulie, I think we could speak forever, man. You, I know you certainly can. I can as well. This is the first time. This is the first time that I've had anyone on the show who speaks more than me. And you could ask anyone that's been listening to the show for the past three years. Uh, the, 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 the the idea that I would be 
that I would that I would be turning the reins over to someone to just do the brunt of the speaking on a pod would have been a crazy idea, but you you do it well. So check out check out Paulie's podcast it is uh, on Boxer. Is it what, what is, Boxer what is it? with two X's? Yes, Boxer with two S's. It's on, uh, two X's. Right. It's on yeah, exactly. everywhere you find your podcast, Spotify or whatever. You know, yeah. everywhere you get your podcast, you just look up Boxer B O X X E R. Exactly. Just just one one last question here. This is just a random point to close on because again we, we can we can keep going forever i i have a bunch of shit i i still i still would love to talk to you about but just a nice closing point here what do you think of the idea that england are one of favorites to win this fucking tournament i know you deal with a lot of the oh. in uh in uh in the uk yeah um i think they are they are shoe-ins to go out in the round of 16 i think you're gonna see a bunch of comment by the way how how many over under over under five and a half over under five and a half. How many, how many, how many English commentators do you think will talk about how Italy are traditionally a really good defensive side and we can expect this Italy side to play boring football? All of them, all of them. But if we play them, but if we play them, we're gonna send them home. Your, your, uh, your, your connection's a little, your connection's a little spotted. You want to just try to, you want to just try to keep it. Yeah, I, I, I hear you. All, I hear you. All right. Yeah. No, 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 listen. So, so I, I think, I think it kills me, man. Every single time England play in a tournament, because you know, you were saying that in Europe, you tend to see crazy upsets. Sometimes Greece will go on to win a tournament. Maybe Denmark will go on to win a tournament. Dude, dude, England have never won a European championship. Think about how crazy that is with the sides they've had over the years. And every single tournament that comes around, they think they're going to go on and win it. And they're now one of the bookies favorites to win it at like five to one. How bonkers, yeah. how bonkers is that? You're, you're a little, you're sounding a little better now. Yeah. I, I, I think, uh, I think if, first of all, England is one of the best footballing countries. Their fans are unbelievable. I've been to games there. I think if England were to win a, a European cup or a major footballing tournament, just the party alone would be worth it. You know, but um, traditionally, they've always um, disappointed, you know. But then again, there's a time for everybody to come out of it. I remember Spain being that kind of team. Spain was always, always a disappointment with their national team. And then they put together a super team that just won a bunch of tournaments in a row from 8 to 12. So, so um, you never know if you, they can come out of it. But uh, until we see it, it's hard to believe it, you know. Bro, I, you know you know what it is? The thing is, they always self-sabotage, man. The people sabotage the team. The media sabotages the team. And I know you get a ton of pressure in every given big footballing country, but they just do it different, man. The tournament hasn't even started yet, and half the country is against them. Half the, half the country is mad that they're kneeling for the anthem. I think, like, that's just... And now, and now their coach has come out and said that if, you, that if you boo people kneeling the anthem, it's a racist act. It's just the inflammatory level of language. It's so combustible. It's going to go up in flames. They're going to go out in the round of 16. I, I don't believe too many political statements in today's day and age are, are necessary. So once you do, unfortunately, once you start doing them, what happens is you're going to have counter arguments as well. You're going to have counter opinions as well. And then it's going to go back and forth. And before you know it, it takes away the real subject matter, which is, you know, the beautiful game and the beautiful tournament. But it's the, the generation we live in, we'll see, see how it plays out. Yeah. Anyway. So, uh, yeah, to tell, tell, uh, tell your friends in London at, uh, at uh, at Sky and uh, and uh, and and every and everyone who you know on uh, on the other side of the pond, tell them uh, tell them that you think they're gonna crash. Tell them that you agree with my statement. Or maybe just show them that. Just maybe we'll we'll splice up splice up a clip of this pod saying that they're gonna go out in the round of sixteen. Just just uh, just start start gaslighting them a little bit. Send it their way. Anyway, man, dude. Um, 
I think I think you yeah I think you I don't know what happened I think you killed your microphone from 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 speaking too much over the past hour uh, hour and a half we said we would go 30 40 minutes and we've gone like we've gone like almost we've gone like almost an hour 20 here so uh no th- this was great man i appreciate you coming on i appreciate you very much thanks for uh thanks for supporting us thanks for uh, and thanks for ch- championing the cause of calcio uh absolutely. around the world my guy absolutely man I'll catch you soon brother listeners follow paulie on all platforms at paul malignaggi you can follow us on all platforms at calcio podcast we are on twitter we are on instagram we are on tiktok You can like our Facebook page. It's The Calcio Podcast. And subscribe to us if you enjoyed the episode. We'll be doing a ton of shit throughout the Euro. So we hope you stay tuned and continue tuning in throughout the tournament. And uh, listeners, my God, I am so fucking excited. I can't believe it's starting off in the next couple of days. I hope you guys enjoy the tournament. I'll be checking in with you guys soon once we have kicked off. Hopefully it's with good news and after a good result against Turkey in a couple of days. And until then, listeners, we'll catch you soon. Forza Italia, Forza Azzurri. Ciao. Spende poi spende tutto in bottiglia la sera Per questo prende le storie poco sul serio Un drink in giuda però non fai di meglio Allora ma tu, ma tu non sei mio fratello Abbina tutte le sneakers con il cappello E stai sicuro non canta come un uccello Abbassa il vetro fumetti caccia al medio E frate a me, quello lì mio fratello E tu non hai mai fumato, non hai mai comprato Non hai mai guidato, non hai mai scopato Mio fratello non si tira indietro mai E anche se non vi vedete sa che fai Basta una chiamata e te risolvi guai Dalla città non fa non ma si ne sai Presento mi, mi, mio fratello Trattami la buona perché è quasi il mio gemello Fratame, fratame Non entro senza di lui Siamo cresciuti insieme Fratame, fratame Da quando ho dieci anni Facciamo solo danni Fratame, fratame Danimo stessa sangue Che scorre in divina Fratame, fratame Abbiamo visto il successo, vissuto male e bene Fratello siamo una famiglia, una cosca sta vita ci costa, vita ci costa. Da famagosta fino a sulla costa, spaghetti e ragosta, spaghetti e ragosta. Tu e tuo fratello sei scemo e più scemo, scemo e più scemo. Vi fate troppo poi state di pietra, come gli spettatori a Sanremo, Sanremo. Ti vedo uomo, di poco polso, di poco polso. Fatto come l'orologio che è addosso, che è addosso. Ringrazia tua mamma per la pastiera, per la pastiera. Con tuoi fratelli voi siete leoni, siete leoni. Sulla tastiera, pochi fra veri perché se sei amico di tutti, fra sei nemico di te stesso. Gli infami spariscono presto, fra giusto il tempo di un espresso. Sono sempre in giro, frate, zero giochi. Siamo due fratelli, blocchi in giro e tocchi. Mi sembra chiaro che metto i fratelli davanti a ste tipe. Bro, così zozza che hanno fatto.